Well, I'm excited about the book of Acts. Extremely excited about the book of Acts. Amen. Everybody there in Acts chapter 2? And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them, say with me, cloven tongues. Not just tongues. There appeared unto them cloven tongues. Like as a fire. Say, like as a fire. And it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. So who was there? Jews who were devout men out of every nation under heaven. The dispersion. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia, in Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, in Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words, for these are not drunken as you suppose, seen it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God. Who's saying it? God. Saith God. I will pour out my Spirit. So who is the Holy Ghost? The Spirit of God. He said, I will pour out of my Spirit. Joel says, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Say all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak of, unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to set on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither was his flesh, neither his flesh did seek corruption. This Jesus, say this Jesus, hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter, and to the rest of the apostles. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need." they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness 
and singleness of hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Lord, we give you glory and honor. We thank you for the reading of your word today. God, we ask that you would inspire the preaching and the delivery of it. We give you all the glory and the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now we are at the time of the post-resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and His post-ascension. We are now on the ground where God is going to pour out His Spirit and He's going to plunge all of these believers and it is about 120, the Scripture says, into His Messianic Kingdom. The Bible says this is going to happen on the day of Pentecost. Say Pentecost. So the Scripture says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. About 120 people have gathered. The Bible tells us that they ate, they slept, they appointed Matthias to replace Judas in the upper room. But when we get to Acts chapter 2 and the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, it is the time of the morning sacrifice, which is 9 o'clock in the morning. 9 o'clock in the morning is when they would go up for the hour of prayer. So the morning sacrifice was at 9 in the morning. They would go up to the temple and they would pray. And then at 3 o'clock in the afternoon was the time of the evening sacrifice. So at this point in the Bible, the disciples, the 120, have gone over to the temple. And uh, they are praising God and worshiping God and praying, not participating in the sacrifice. Because they know the sacrifice has been made. So they didn't go to the temple to offer a sacrifice. They're going to the temple, according to Luke 24, to bless God. Alright? To praise and bless God. Now, they're a very unique group of people because the law has been fulfilled with Jesus' death on the cross. But the Holy Ghost has not been poured out yet. So they're the only people in the history of mankind and in the history of time that will ever fit in this category. They are a people when the law has been fulfilled, the ceremonial law, but they are a people who have not yet experienced the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, which plunges, puts them in the church. So they're a people who are in between. They are a people who are like in a twilight zone. Okay? And the only ones that will ever be in that position are these people here. Because now you're in new covenant days. Okay? So you're not in the in-between days. And the outpouring of the Holy Ghost has already taken place. So they've gathered there in the temple in Jerusalem. Sacrifice in the morning taking place. The 120 are gathering there, but they've got a new understanding about everything that's going on in that temple ceremony. Okay, y'all with me so far? And they're fixing to enter into a completely brand new covenant that God promised in Jeremiah chapter 31. God said He would remove the old, and set up a brand new covenant. 
So they watch as they gather there in the temple. They see the sacrifice still going on, but knowing that Jesus died on the cross and fulfilled that sacrifice. So they're gathering there in the temple and they're fixed to be plunged into complete new covenant, into a new covenant, a new kingdom, a new king, and a brand new nation. Say amen. Amen. And they're praising God and they're worshiping God, but they're in between. And the Bible says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, that simply means 50. So for 40 days we have found out, according to Acts chapter 1, that Jesus, after He rose from the dead, He appeared to His disciples. He appeared to them 11 times. The number 10 is the perfection of divine order. The number 12 is the perfection of divine government. So He appeared to them 11 times so that even the number 11 is an in-between time. They're not in the law, the perfection of divine order, nor are they in the kingdom yet, the perfection of divine government, the number 12. They've seen Him 11 times. So they're in between the law age and they're in between the kingdom, the spiritual kingdom of God. Say Amen. So these people are very unique. They are an in-between people before the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. So 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus has appeared to them coming and going from heaven. In and out from among them. Amen. So now they're gathering in the temple and they're just simply praising and worshiping God. Ten days after Jesus has ascended up, which is the 50th day, Pentecost, The Bible says when the day of Pentecost was fully come. So everything that was about Pentecost in the Old Testament is about to fully come. It's about to be fulfilled. You are about to move into fulfillment days in relationship to the feast called Pentecost. Now let me back up to you. What is Pentecost for those of you who are not familiar? Let me go through some feasts. Number one, Passover. The feast of Passover, when they sacrificed the lamb, right? Jesus fulfilled Passover. So the Old Testament Passover and sacrifice of the lamb was a picture of something that was going to come. And that something is Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, coming and dying and shedding His blood so that we could receive forgiveness of sin. Jesus died on Passover. Shed His blood. So He fulfilled the feast known as Passover. There's no need for any more Passover seders because Jesus has fulfilled it. Three days later, after Passover, there is the feast known as First Fruits. And in the Old Testament, Passover having taken place three days later, they would present to the priest of Israel the first fruits of the barley harvest. And they would wave that sheep, that priest would wave that sheep before God in commemoration of the harvest. Amen. That was going to come. It's called the first fruits. It commemorated a huge harvest that would follow, right? And that Passover feast and that first fruits feast were connected with barley harvest. So they waved the sheep. First fruits unto God. They went out and picked, picked the corn out of the field and waved it before the Lord because they believed by faith that there was going to be a huge harvest that was going to come. So Jesus fulfilled Passover with His death on the cross. He was crucified at 9 o'clock in the morning. 
the time of the morning sacrifice. And he died at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the time of the evening sacrifice, in fulfillment of Passover. And then three days later, after he died, he fulfilled the Feast of first fruits. 1 Corinthians 15 tells you that. When he rose from the dead, and there many of the dead that were in the graves rose as well, and he presented them before God as the first fruits before the Lord. Say amen. So Passover and first fruits was fulfilled by his crucifixion and his resurrection. Now, after his resurrection, he appeared 40 days to his disciples. And 50 days after his resurrection, or 53 days after his crucifixion, Pentecost would follow. It would be the next feast in Israel. And in Israel in the Old Testament, it commemorated or pointed to the wheat harvest and also the giving of the law. Because Pentecost, 50 days after first fruits, was when the law was given on Mount Sinai. So the Feast of Pentecost, when they celebrated it 50 days after first fruits or 53 days after Passover, when they celebrated it, it commemorated the ingathering of the harvest, the wheat harvest. Say amen. amen. And it also commemorated the giving of the law. And the way they celebrated that was they went and they got the wheat from the field. And they made two loaves of bread. It wasn't a sheaf in the hands waved. It was two loaves of bread. They took that grain and made those two loaves of bread. And they lifted that bread before God. And they waved it before the Lord. And they worshipped God for His provision. His abundant provision of harvest to them. And they recognized the giving of the law from the Lord. Say Amen. amen. And so that was the celebration of Pentecost, it simply means 50, 50 days after the first fruits. And so they're waving these loaves, two loaves, not one, two loaves before God. The sheaf of first fruits had no leaven. But the two loaves lifted to God and waved before God on the Feast of Pentecost had leaven within it. This is a very unique situation here. That you would have leaven inside of those loaves. You would take the grain and you would grind it into fine powder. And that grain symbolized the body of Jesus Christ. That Jesus was pure. This grain was pure. It was ground fine. They would take and they would put a little oil with this fine flour, and the oil represented the Spirit of God. So the flour represents His pure humanity, and the oil represents the Spirit of God that was in Him. But then they would do something very unique. They would take and they would add corruption to that uh, fine flour and that oil. They would add leaven to it. Very, uh, very unusual. And so we're going to find out as we go along here that this represents the perfections of the humanity of Jesus. He being God was lifted up. It speaks of His humiliation, death for sin, and His exaltation when they lifted the sack, those loaves up. It's a picture of Jesus being exalted after His humiliation. 
So the leaven speaks of Jesus becoming sin for us and dying in our place. But He was sinless and He was perfect, the fine flower, and He was God. But for us and for our transgressions, He was crucified, but then lifted up or exalted, resurrected from the dead. Am I boring you today? Not only does it speak of Jesus in His perfect humanity and in His deity being lifted up for sin for us, but it speaks of the church because the two loaves speak of the Jews and the Gentiles who will be infused into one body. Two loaves. And what we see then in relationship to the church is we see the perfections of Jesus the oil and, I mean, the, the fine flour and the oil is speaking of His deity as God, but we see His body has imperfections. The imperfections of the church in the corruption or the leaven. So when you lifted those two loaves up, it's a picture of what Jesus would do when He establishes the church. That Jews and Gentiles, these two bread loaves, would come into one body be infused into one body, the church. And the perfect Jesus, who was God, lifted up for your sins and then resurrected and exalted uh, at His ascension, this Jesus would come inside of imperfect human beings. That's why way back there in the Old Testament, they would take that fine flour, mix it with oil, and then put corruption in the midst of that. That had to bring some kind of confusion to them. What in the world are we doing here? Why would God tell us to put corruption in this? This is a picture of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. It is because He would become sin for us. And it is because when He comes inside of the body, made up of Jews and Gentiles, He being perfect would begin to operate in imperfect human beings. So when the day of Pentecost was fully come, the 50 days have come, it's fully come. It's fulfillment time. Everything those two loaves spoke to them about, the harvest, the giving of the law, it's time for it now to fully come, which means it's completion time or it's fulfillment time. There's no need now for you to go to Jerusalem and go into the fields and pick grain and make two loaves of bread with them and bring them and put them in the hands of a priest to lift up to God. Amen. In fact, they, they don't do that anymore because there's no sacrifice. The sacrifice has been fulfilled. So the days that, that prefigured or shadowed fulfillment days are now being fulfilled. Passover is fulfilled. First fruits is fulfilled. Pentecost is fully come. Or it's completed. It's fulfilled. The shadow gives way to the reality. Say amen. The shadow gives, gives way to the reality. The types are now fulfilled in completion. So there's, it's not necessary for us to go back to shadow land. The Old Testament was shadow land. It was the former days. You're in the last days. You're in new covenant days. You're not in the old covenant ceremonial ways of doing things now. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, it's fulfillment time. It's completion time. It's everything that the feast pointed to. 
but they did not understand it until the day of Pentecost. Now there's something new about this feast that they had never seen before because all of those Pentecostal celebrations in, in the past where they commemorated the harvest and the giving of the law, there was never any outpouring of God's Spirit where people started speaking with other tongues. Oh, there's something new about this feast that they had not seen before. And so on the day, of, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, it's time for it to be fulfilled. The Bibles, are y'all with me today? Passover's fulfilled. First fruits is fulfilled. Now Pentecost fulfilled. What happened? What, what new thing was experienced there on this day called the Feast of Pentecost? What fulfilled the shadowlands of the Old Testament bringing you into the days of reality? What, what brings you from a shadowland to substance days? Say amen. Are y'all here? We're living substance days now. We're not in shadowland now. We're in substance days. We were in tight days, typical days in the Old Testament. Now we're in reality days. We're in, oh, you're living in a great, great time right now. Because you don't have to go and bring a lamb for a sacrifice. And are y'all here right now? You don't have to go into the fields and pour grain and pull grain and take it to the priest now. You don't have to go on the day of Pentecost and pull grain off the field and then make two loaves out and give it. You are in fulfillment times now. There's no need for any more of those typical days to be fulfilled. Are y'all here right now? Passover is fulfilled. First fruits is fulfilled. And Pentecost is fulfilled. And I know there's a great push today to try to get the church to start observing those feasts. I observe them all, all the time. I said I observe them all the time because Jesus is my Passover and He is my first fruits. I observe them all the time. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. Therefore, I observe Pentecost. I am an observer of the feast spiritually. I'm in new covenant days. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Ooh, yes, Lord. I thank you right now. Give God praise in this house. So they gathered there in the temple, which was also a shadow, which was also a type, which was also a picture of something that was going to take place. Give the Lord worship in the house. Glory, glory, glory. It says they were with one accord. They were all, say all. With one accord in one place. We got the disciples of the Lord, with the exception of Judas Iscariot, who has backslid and has, you know, has lost. Matthias takes his place. The women are there. The mother of Jesus is there. Say amen. And about 120 disciples, they've gathered in the temple and they're praising and they're blessing God because this is the feast of Pentecost. And from all over the world, all the nations of the world would send a Jewish delegate to observe the Feast of Pentecost in Jerusalem. There are people who are living in Judea, people who are living in Jerusalem that are there for this festival. But there are people from all nations of the world, Jewish people, who have come up to Jerusalem to observe the typical shadow called the Feast of Pentecost. The dispersion were the Jews who were scattered throughout the world. And they would... Being scattered throughout the world would meet in synagogues there. 
and a delegate from every synagogue all over the world was sent to Jerusalem. You had to qualify to be that delegate. You had to be able to speak Greek, which was the language of the day. You had to be able to speak Aramaic, the language of the common people. You had to be able to speak Hebrew. That was the language of the temple. And you probably was able to speak Latin. So you just couldn't be a delegate from the synagogue. You know, anybody couldn't go. You had to be able to speak at least four or five different languages. And so delegates from all over the world, from the Jewish synagogues all over the world, they would send them to observe and celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, which I explained to you what that was, right? So they're all in Jerusalem and they're going through this ceremony and this ritual. And the 120 are there at the temple at the same time. Now all of a sudden, 9 o'clock in the morning, it's about the third hour of the day, the time of the morning sacrifice. The Scripture says, they're with one accord in one place. They had one desire and one purpose in their life. And that was Jesus Christ. There was no division in that church. And all of a sudden the Bible says when they've gathered there in that, on that day, the day of Pentecost, or literally the 50th day, when it was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly, say suddenly, suddenly there came a sound from heaven. The Bible says, as of a rushing mighty wind. It was the sound uh, as the rushing of a mighty wind. Say amen. amen. It was as a rushing mighty wind. Say praise the Lord. I don't know that they felt wind blowing that day. You know, I mean, I'm just telling you something. If a hurricane, if the wind was blowing, it would have been a hurricane. It had knocked down buildings. If there was a wind there, a literal wind there, it was the breath of God. If there was a literal wind there, then the wind was just a manifestation of God. But the wind was not God. The wind was a manifestation of God. Nor, nor was that sheet of fire that filled Jerusalem the Spirit of God. The fire was a manifestation of the Spirit of God. Say Amen. So if you, if you want to say there was a wind there, then that was simply a manifestation of the Spirit of God. I know there was a fire there, a sheet of fire there. That was a manifestation of the Spirit of God. And all of a sudden the Bible says, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And this all took place at 3 o'clock in the morning. Say amen. Verse 15 will give you that. 3 o'clock in the morning. It's only the third hour of the day. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. It's 9 a.m. That's when it's going to happen, right? They haven't eaten anything. They haven't drank anything because nobody ate or drank before the sacrifice. The first thing they did for in the morning at 9 o'clock, they went to the temple to pray. They went to the temple to worship God. This is what they did before they ate, before they drank anything. Nobody ate or drank anything before the time of the morning sacrifice. So they gathered there at the temple and they're praising and they're blessing God. And they're, you know, it's a time, it's, it's a, the Feast of Pentecost and you've got all these people from all over the world, Jewish people coming to observe this festival. And all of a sudden, something new is going to take place on that feast that they have never seen before. They're going to experience something they've never experienced before in a Pentecostal celebration. 
Something brand new is about to take place. It was promised by Jesus in verse 8 of chapter 1. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and Samaria and Judea and the uttermost parts of the earth. This is what He promised them. But they didn't know exactly what that was going to be all about. But they're just tearing and they're waiting during that 10 day time frame. After His ascension, they're waiting for this promise to come to them. And all of a sudden, in this festival called Pentecost, the time of fulfillment of this feast, this rushing, the Bible says, a sound. Say a sound. sound. There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It doesn't say there came a rushing mighty wind. It says there came a sound as of a rushing mighty wind. It sounded like a rushing mighty wind. Are y'all here today? Say the sound. They heard this sound. It sounded like a freight train. It, it sounded like the coming of a tornado. It sounded like a hurricane. It doesn't say there was wind. It says there was the sound of a rushing mighty wind. That got their attention. The sound got, oh hallelujah to the Lamb. The sound got their mental attention. The sound arrested their mind. And then all of a sudden the Bible says, with this sound, the Scripture says, Hallelujah. It filled all the house where they were sitting. Say it filled. It filled all the house. Say it filled all the house where they were sitting. Say praise the Lord. So evidently at this point, uh, the morning sacrifice there in the temple, why would they be sitting then? Evidently, maybe they've gone out somewhere, maybe the porch of Solomon there, and they're just kind of resting, you know, after praying and blessing God. But they're sitting there. Say, sitting there. Oh, hallelujah. And the Bible says the house was filled. Amen. How do you know it was the temple, Pastor? Because the Bible says in Luke 24 that they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. And I know they did that at 9 o'clock in the morning. They didn't get the Holy Ghost in the upper room. Don't tell anybody that. They got the Holy Ghost in the temple. And they would become the temple and fulfill that type and shadow. But they're sitting there in the precincts of the temple there and all of a sudden this sound of a, as of a rushing mighty wind filled the house where they were sitting. Oh, y'all with me today? And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like, a, like as a fire and set upon each of them. All of a sudden accompanying this sound is a huge sheet of fire that could be seen over the city of Jerusalem. These visible manifestations of the Spirit of God was to arrest the attention or the minds of everybody that has gathered there for the Feast of Pentecost. This one sheet of fire then began to divide and set individually on the top of the heads of the believers. It was one fire, but now we see it divided. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb. So this sound, what was that sound that just came into Jerusalem? It sounded like a rushing mighty wind. What is this fire that we see hovering over uh, the city of Jerusalem? Now you have to keep in mind, the people, it's blowing their minds. They're going to ask the question, what meaneth this? We don't understand what's happening. We've never seen anything like this on a Pentecostal celebration. 
We've never seen it. There's something brand new that's going on here. So the rush, the wind, or the sound as of a rushing mighty wind. And then the fire coming into Jerusalem there. The Bible says, all of a sudden, it filled the house where they were sitting. In verse 4 it says, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Say, they were all filled. It wasn't just the twelve. It was the, about 120. How many, before I get too far into this, I'm just getting started here. How many believe that the book of Acts is the Word of God? Alright, you believe it that it is the Word of God, and, and I will declare to you today that you are going to find out how to come into the kingdom of God and how to be saved in the book of Acts. Most preachers will not preach the book of Acts and show you how to be saved out of the book of Acts. They will, many of them will tell you to get away from the book of Acts. What are you talking about? Are you telling me to get away from the inspired Word of God? I'm not going to get away from the inspired Word of God just because you will not preach your Bible. You will not preach the Word of God and you will not tell people how to get into the kingdom of God from the book of Acts. I'm not going to get away from the book of Acts. This is the Word of God. And in the book of Acts is where you find salvation. This is the book of the Spirit and this is the book of salvation. This is the book where you will hear the apostles preaching to the lost and tell them how to enter into the kingdom of God. This is the book that you will find out how to get into the church of the living God. Well, I'm not going to get away from the book of Acts because I believe the book of Acts is the word of God. And the book of Acts shows you how to get into the church. Say amen. So the Bible says they were all filled, not just the twelve disciples. They were all filled. Now there's one thing the devil agrees with us on concerning the day of Pentecost. And that is that whatever they got, they all were filled. Say all. Not some, but all. Not just an elite group of people, but all. All. Say all. The Bible said they were all Killed with the Holy Ghost. So there's something the devil agrees with me on today. And I don't like with him to agree with me on much, but he does agree on this because he knows it too. That what they had, what they experienced on the day of Pentecost, everybody received and everybody was filled. Give the Lord praise in the house. Oh, hallelujah. So I'm going to try to help some of you preachers out there that might see this message. You need to get in the book of Acts and you need to declare to your church how to get into the Messianic kingdom. Because this day plunged all of these people into the body of Christ the church. It plunged them into the Messianic kingdom. It put them in the new covenant. It put them in a priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. Oh, give the Lord praise in this house. And it fulfilled the day of Pentecost or the feast of Pentecost. They're going to be a part of the harvest of God's kingdom. And the law of God is fixing to be put on the tables of their heart. Give the Lord praise in this house. Oh, I love the Lord, don't you? I praise Him today. I praise Him today. So this, this sound from heaven, say from heaven. It came from heaven. It came down from heaven upon them. So we know where it came from. It came from heaven. It came from God. It came from up. It came down upon them. And it was as the sound of a rushing mighty wind. 
It sounded like a hurricane hit that place. Ooh, hallelujah. And then all of a sudden the Bible says, there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. So now we got fire dancing on the top of the heads of the disciples. One fire, one spirit of God, but now on each individual there, say fire, and it's dancing flames. It's not just sitting there. These flames are dancing on the tops of the heads of these people. Are y'all with me right now? And they are cloven tongues of fire. They are forked tongues. Look up here, look up here. You gotta hear what I'm telling you. If some of you can, can keep yourself from moving so much, you are distracting people. Listen to what I'm telling you. It wasn't just one fire, one flame on the top of the head. It was cloven tongues as a fire. That means it was a split fire. It was forked tongues. Why cloven tongues of fire? Because the Bible tells us in the Old Testament that you could only eat clean animals that had a split hoof or a cloven hoof. That means the hoof was split. Say amen. For example, you could eat cattle or a cow because a cow had a split hoof or a cloven hoof. Say, say fort feet or cloven footed. Say forked tongues of fire or cloven tongues of fire. So you could eat those animals because they were clean animals. They had a split hoof or a cloven foot. And they chewed the cud. They had to have a cloven foot and chew the cud. Say amen. Praise the Lord, church. So the cow, when you see a cow in the out there in the field and it's eating the grass, it will ruminate. It will swallow its food. It will bring its food back up. And, and all of a sudden, coming out of the side of its mouth, this saliva begins to drip down. Are you all with me? And, it, it, you know, it's oftentimes milky white in color. And, but it's dripping down. What is that saliva? He's eaten his food. He's taken it into his stomach, but he ruminates it. That cow brings it back up and chews it some more. And as it chews, it ruminates or chews the cud, the poison that was in the plant is dripping out of the side of his mouth. That's why it's a clean animal because it's cloven-footed and it chews the cud. The poison, he's getting the poison out of it. So on the day of Pentecost, are y'all here right now? When the Spirit of God came there, the Bible says there was a manifestation that sounded like... Uh, a, a wind with the sound of a rushing mighty wind, but the fire was there and it was cloven tongued, which means when the Holy Ghost comes inside of you, it's going to burn some stuff out of you. It will clean your life up. It'll make you clean on the inside. He'll burn lying out of you. He'll burn cheating out of you. He's going to burn sin out of you. He's going to burn prejudice out of you. He's going to burn jealousy out of you. He, oh, hallelujah. He's going to burn envy out of you. Out of you. What is it? Hmm, I, I didn't know a believer could lie. 
I didn't know a believer could be jealous. I didn't know a believer could be envious. I didn't know a believer could have pride in their hearts. Oh yes, that's why the Holy Ghost has come. To take lying out of you. To take cheating out of you. To take sin out of you. Come on somebody. Give the Lord praise in the house. To take envy out of you. To take jealousy out of you. To take pride out of you. That's why when the Holy Ghost came, there were cloven tongues as a fire to make you clean. He came to burn some stuff out of me. He's still burning stuff out of me. He's still burning stuff out of you to make you clean. Oh yes, this is really interesting, isn't it? Hallelujah. So there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with what? The Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So here they are. They're just praising God. They're worshiping God. They're blessing God. Are y'all here right now? And in the process, on the day of Pentecost, when it was fully come, in the time of the morning sacrifice, we have this sound as of a rushing mountain wind and this fire covering the heavens of Jerusalem. And now that fire is setting on individuals. And the Spirit of God is coming inside of them and filling them. This is God's Spirit. Say God's Spirit. So as they're filled with the Holy Ghost, what happens? Oh, this is brand new. They've never seen this before in any Pentecostal celebration in all their history. They have never seen this before. They might have had a type of picture way back at Mount Sinai when they got the law. They heard God speak in at least 70 different languages as He gave the law not just to Israel but to the nations of the world. And I'm sure they saw the fire descend on Mount Sinai there on that first Pentecostal day there. I know, but I'm talking about this is something brand new. This takes it to another level. Come on, you got fire you got you got the Spirit of God here and now it's on people and it's coming inside of people. It's on them and in them at the same time. This is God's Spirit plunging them into the new covenant, plunging them into a new nation, a new kingdom with a new king. Oh, they're a part of God's spiritual kingdom now. And so the Bible says, when they get filled with the Holy Ghost... The Scripture says they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. But they were all filled. Say all filled. There is no such thing as a Christian in that New Testament church. No such thing as a Christian in that New Testament church that didn't have the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues. Every Christian in that New Testament church, when they got the Holy Ghost, they spoke with tongues. And when you get the Holy Ghost, you're going to get it the same way they did. If you don't get it the same way they did, you didn't get it. If you get the same Holy Ghost they got, you're going to get it the same way they did. You're going to get full of the Spirit of God. You will begin to speak with other tongues. But you don't need the fire to dance upon your heads because that is... Are y'all with me right now? Say amen. Because once the candle of the church is lit, it's not necessary to keep relighting the candle. Give the Lord some praise. So this fire doesn't just represent the, clo the, the clean animals. That fire represents that candle stick in the tabernacle and temple. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that you are the candle stick of the Lord or the menorah of God. 
And when God lit it, He lit it one time. He doesn't have to keep relighting it, praise the Lord, in the house. Listen to what I'm telling you today. If God wanted to, He could have every time person received the Holy Ghost, had them speak with tongues and a fire, if He chose to, set upon their head. What He chose to do is not to carry that cloven tongue of fire on the top of the head beyond Acts 2. What He chose to carry was the speaking with other tongues in the rest of the book of Acts. Give the Lord praise in the house. Nor do I hear about a sound of a rushing mighty wind. I don't hear the sound of a rushing mighty wind every time somebody gets the Holy Ghost. I don't see fire sitting on everybody's head every time they get the Holy Ghost because God did not carry that over beyond the original outpouring of the Holy Ghost. But the book of Acts shows you what He chose to carry on and that was speaking with other tongues. Oh, give Him praise in this house. And I can do my best to try to explain to you why there is not a fire sitting on your head when you get the Holy Ghost. The best I can, other, the best I know to tell you is that once that church was lit, there's no need to relight it over and over again. I can try to explain it to you. But it's really not necessary for me to do that. Because all I have to do is go to the book of Acts and find out what the initial outpouring was like. And then I can go from there and I can show you what was a reoccurring sign after that. And that reoccurring sign was they Spake with tongues. Give the Lord praise in the house. So there's no need for a fire to come. There's no need for a sound as of a rushing mighty wind to come anymore. Come on, those were initial signs to get the attention of the people of that day. The Lord says, all right. I said, everybody now that gets the Holy Ghost, they'll automatically have the fire. I don't have to relight it. Give the Lord praise. When they get the Holy Ghost... There will be the sound of a rushing mighty wind in this sense. When you hear them speak with other tongues. John 3 verse 8, Jesus said it this way. He said, the Spirit of God is like the wind. It blows where it wills. Wherever it wants to. Spirit of God will blow wherever it wants to. He says, and you can't see it, but you hear the sound thereof. You can't see the wind. You can't see the Spirit of God, but you can hear the sound thereof. So is everyone that's born of the Spirit. So now we don't have this rushing hurricane sound coming in here. What we hear when you get the Holy Ghost is a sound speaking with other tongues. So we know you just got the breath of God. We didn't see... We didn't see when the Spirit of God came in you. It's like the wind, it's invisible. But when we heard you speak with tongues, we know there's a sound there, and that sound biblically proves you got the Spirit. It's the sound of the wind is speaking with other tongues. Say hallelujah to the Lamb. So every time somebody gets filled with the Holy Ghost in the church today, it's not necessary for a little fire, literal fire to set upon their head because the fire is already there. It's just a manifest, that's a manifestation of God's Spirit. Say Amen. And there's no need for an outside wind, uh, an outside sound of a rushing mighty wind to come because when you get it, it comes out of you. Out of your belly shall flow, reo, rhetoric. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the Spirit, that they that believe on Him should receive. 
Say amen. So you're going to get a flow. You're going to get a rail. You're going to get a rhetoric. You're going to get a, a tongue when it comes and fills you. And that's the sound today. Give the Lord praise in this house. Are you understanding me? Are you hearing me? Are you understanding me today? So in the book of Acts, we just have to follow it through. Find out. Well, what happened the next time somebody got the Holy Ghost? The Bible says they spoke with tongues and magnified God. Say amen. amen. Say amen. amen. So the way they knew they received the Holy Ghost, they heard them speak with other tongues. Now watch this. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And I reiterate to you that there was no such thing as a believer in that New Testament church that had not received the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. Everybody in that New Testament church, when they got the Holy Ghost, they heard them speak with tongues. Give the Lord praise. Say amen. Are y'all awake? Oh, okay, watch, watch. Listen to me carefully, alright? Now, not only that, when they spoke in tongues, it wasn't to missionary the world. Because Peter, when he's standing up with the eleven, he begins to preach. He's speaking to you men of Judea and Jerusalem. You hear me? He's speaking to Jews. And these Jewish people knew Greek. They had the Septuagint, which, the, which is the translation of the Old Testament into Greek. Say amen. amen. They knew Greek, so when he preached to them, he didn't preach to them speaking in tongues. He preached to them in the language of the day, Greek. Amen. Or possibly Aramaic. Say amen. amen. What I'm trying to show you is that he was preaching them in the word in a, in a language they understood, not to missionary of the world. Say hallelujah. hallelujah. Okay, so anyway, anyway, I'm trying not to I'm gonna try not to be apologetic. That means now that doesn't mean I'm apologizing. That means I'm trying to explain, you know, different uh, opinions uh, that try to come against this truth. So I'm not gonna try to be so apologetic today. Amen. Defending the gospel. Amen. I don't have to defend the gospel. Just open the cage and let it go. But I will tell you this, that wasn't the reason why they spoke in tongues that day to missionary the world. When Peter stood up, he stood up and preached in the language of that day. Say amen. Are you hearing me? Do you believe the Word of God? Do you believe the book of Acts is the Word of God? Do you understand? that there was no such thing as a believer in that New Testament church that did not have the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues. No such animal. No such animal. We got people today walking around saying, I'm a believer in Jesus. Have you got the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues? No, but I'm a believer in Jesus. No such animal in that New Testament church. Say praise the Lord. So this is something brand new. This is putting them in a new covenant. This is... They recognize their true king is Jesus. It's putting them in a new kingdom, a new covenant. It's putting them in a Melchizedek priesthood. It's plunging them into the body of Jesus Christ. Say amen. This is something brand new they had never seen before on any feast in their history. Not at this level. The Bible says, when this happens, they were all filled. Say all filled. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Say Jews. Jews. They've come from all over the world, out of the synagogues, from all over the world, delegations. A delegate has... They're there. And so all of a sudden, 
when they hear this sound as of a rushing mighty wind and they see this fire coming over Jerusalem, the Bible says it arrested their minds. And the Scripture says, talks about all these people, thousands of them there on the, this day of Pentecost. This is the birthday of the church. Jesus Christ started His own church in the year 30 to 33 A.D. in the city of Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. That's when the Ecclesia was started. Say amen. amen. Well, wasn't there a church in the Old Testament? I ask you. God talked about His people, His peculiar people, as His congregation or His assembly. Are you here? The church in the wilderness, Hebrews talks about the church in the wilderness. So there was an assembly in the Old Testament. Are y'all here? The ecclesia or the assembly. Say amen. I need your help today. Where are you today? I know you listen, but I need you to get in the spirit of the thing. There was a church in the Old Testament. It was the assembly of God's people. So the Hebrews understood church. They understood that it was God's assembled people. Say God's assembled people. His peculiar people that He's assembled for Himself. The Greeks used the word ecclesia or ecclesia to represent somebody who was qualified, who was a free man, and somebody who oversaw the affairs of the city. Okay? But now, watch this. We are going... Well, let me put it this way. Let me ask you the question. Was there a church in the Old Testament? Yes and no. Yes, there was an assembly, but it wasn't like this one. This is something brand new set up on the day of Pentecost that was unlike anything they had ever seen before. You understand that, don't you? In the Old Testament, Jesus has not come. Jesus has not died. Jesus has not shed His blood. Jesus has not risen from the dead. Jesus has not yet ascended. Jesus has not poured out His Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues in the Old Testament. Israel, the assembled people of God, was just a type of church. So in a sense, yes, there was a church, but in another sense, there wasn't. Not like this. This is something brand new. This is something unique. There's never been a people in the world, never been anybody like it. To have, have God, God, God come and live inside of them. Not just come in and anoint them for service, but to take residence inside of their body. This is something unheard of. This, give the Lord praise in this house. To take a people and put them in His body and make them one with Him. You in Him and He in you. This had never been in the history of mankind. They have, you, they have literally and you have literally become one with Jesus Christ. You are in the body of Christ. He is in you and you are in Him. Say Amen. This is something totally unique. Yes, there was a church in the Old Testament. But not like this one. 
This is new. This is different. Say amen. Amen. So when you talk about people being plunged into this church, the birthday of the church was 30 to 33 A.D. in the city of Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. It was started by Jesus Christ. I don't care what kind of preacher you are, what kind of theologian you are, you have to admit that what I just said is reality, that Jesus started His church on the day of Pentecost. 30 to 33 A.D. in the city of Jerusalem with the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. You have to admit that. I don't care what brand of Christian you are. Because that's the facts. Say amen. So yes, in a sense there was a church, but in a sense there wasn't a church. Not like you know it today. Hallelujah. i got to bring clarity to that. Oh, I'm having a good time today. So Pentecost is not a denomination. Ah, well it is. Some people have made it a denomination. But before Pentecost was a denomination, Pentecost was a festival they celebrated in the Old Testament. Now Pentecost, even though some have made it a denomination, it's not a denomination in the strict sense of the word. Pentecost is an experience in God. Pentecost is an experience more than a denomination. But before it was a denomination, it was a feast. And the Jews celebrated that feast all the way from the days of Mount Sinai when it was given. Say amen. Oh, you know, you know, you know. I know you know all of this. I know, you know. And that's why you're not excited because you know everything. So are we, uh, are we in agreement up to this point? Have what I have what I preached to you and told you up to this point is it accurate? I give you the opportunity to inquire right now. Anybody in here would disagree what I, with what I just preached to you? Okay, good. No, I give you the opportunity to inquire. That's true preaching. Hallelujah! You say, "What meaneth this?" I have to answer that question. Say, "Amen." All right, and would you agree that when they got the Holy Ghost, everybody got it? And would you also agree that they were all filled when they got it? Got Him, right? And would you agree that they all spake with tongues when they received the Spirit of God? Would you agree with that? Nobody was left out. They were all filled. And everybody, would you agree with that? Then why don't you? How many of you do? Praise the Lord. And there was dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. All of these that we're going to read about the Parthians and the Medes and the Cretes and all of these different uh, names that are listed here. These are Jews from that part of the world. Say amen. Who have come up to, to worship in the festival called Pentecost. But God is doing a new thing. God's bringing in... He's bringing in a new kingdom. He's bringing in His church. Now watch. He's going to bring in a new Jerusalem too. Say amen. There's three Jerusalems in your Bible. There's that old city of Jerusalem. 
that was sent in their ways. When Jesus came, watch this. When Jesus came and preached, it didn't shake Jerusalem. When Jesus died, it didn't shake Jerusalem. When Jesus rose from the dead, it didn't shake Jerusalem. But when Pentecost came, it shook Jerusalem. It takes a, it takes Pentecost to shake old Jerusalem. Cause old Jerusalem is set in its ways. Set in its ways. And it took Pentecost to shake that city. Give the Lord praise in this house. The old city of Jerusalem. And then there's the, the heavenly Jerusalem. Well, let me go into the middle one here. Spiritual Jerusalem. That old natural physical city of Jerusalem set in its way that was shaken on the day of Pentecost. But now there's spiritual Jerusalem, which is the mother of us all. Spiritual Jerusalem, according to Galatians, is the church of the living God. You are part of spiritual Jerusalem. And then the Bible talks about in the book of Revelation, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven. So there is a new Jerusalem that's a heavenly Jerusalem. So three Jerusalems in your Bible. That old Jerusalem that was set in its ways and the spiritual Jerusalem which is the church and that heavenly Jerusalem that's going to come down from God out of heaven. Give the Lord praise in the house. But it took Pentecost to shake that old Jerusalem because they were set in their ways. God sent the fire of regeneration. I mean the, the wind of regeneration and the fire of sanctification and the tongues of proclamation. Let me say it again. He sent the wind of, of regeneration and the fire of sanctification and the tongues of proclamation. It took that outpouring of God's Spirit. So now Jesus is no longer limited to His fleshly body. Now He can pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. So you will agree with me that on that day, everybody got the Holy Ghost and everybody spoke with tongues. And the Bible said He poured out His Spirit upon all flesh. There were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven, coming from the synagogues, the dispersion, to observe that feast. Now when this was noised abroad... The multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. Now watch this. What brought this group of people to the temple when the Holy Ghost is being poured out is not that they heard people speaking with tongues. That didn't bring the crowd to the temple. What brought them to the temple was this sound as of a rushing mighty wind and this fire they saw move in over Jerusalem. That brought them to the temple there. And when they got there, they saw individual human beings speaking in tongues. They saw fire jumping on the top of their heads. Are y'all awake today? That Sound of a rushing mighty wind and that fire was what got their attention. But it's not what saved them. The manifestation of God's Spirit they had witnessed. But that was not enough because Peter now stands up and he's going to preach to them. 
You have to go beyond signs and miracles if you're going to see somebody saved. They have to hear a prophetic word. They have to hear the word of God preached to them. They, I know people, they come in here all the time and they see you speaking with other tongues. And they see miracles, signs and wonders all around all the time. But they're not saved today. It's the word of God that needs to be preached after that. So God used this wind as a rushing mighty, the sound of as, as a rushing mighty wind, and this fire to get the attentions of the minds of the people so that Peter could preach to them the word of God. The fire that set upon their head was a manifestation of the Spirit. It wasn't the Spirit. The sound as a rushing mighty wind wasn't the Spirit of God. It was a manifestation of the Spirit of God. You hear what I'm telling you? Tongues is not the Holy Ghost. Tongues is a manifestation of the Holy Ghost. When you seek for the Holy Ghost, you're not seeking for tongues. You're seeking for the Holy Ghost. And when you get the Holy Ghost, you will speak with tongues because tongues is a manifestation of the Spirit. But tongues is not the Spirit. It's the Spirit giving utterance. The Spirit of God giving the utterance. You have to know your Bible. So the sound wasn't the Holy Ghost. That's a manifestation of the Holy Ghost. The fire wasn't the Holy Ghost. That's a manifestation of the Holy Ghost. Them speaking with other tongues was not the Holy Ghost. It's a manifestation of the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God. Aren't you thankful you got it? So when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded. Uh, you know, if I had about 10 hours, I could really break this down for you. But I'm not going to. I'm not going to break it down for you. I'm going to hold some of this for my students in the, uh, in the biblical studies class. I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you what the Bible talks about preaching. I'm going, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about how people's minds are confounded and perplexed. And that don't mean you won't ever hear it from me, but I'm going to talk to them about it first. Say hallelujah to the Lamb. Say, well, why are you? I don't know that I feel something here I don't, I don't really feel comfortable with. I'll tell you what, we ought to thank God for what God has done for us. So you, you will agree with what I've preached to you up to this point, right? Oh, okay. I don't know how you could disagree with me. I'm in the Bible. You, you might not like me, but I'm still in the Bible. And I'm not asking you to like me. I'm not running. I'm not a politician. I'm a preacher. So get beyond my personality. Get beyond my methodology. But hear the word of the living God. Because that's what I'm preaching to you today. Whether you like me or not makes no difference at all. Or my methods or whatever. If you don't lie, I don't care. I'm trying to get, bring the Word of God to you. Say Amen. So who was there on the day of Pentecost? Who, who gathered there and saw these people speaking with tongues and saw the flames of fire on the top of their head? Who were these people? Jews. Say Jews. The Bible says... There were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. They had come for the festival. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded. Say they were confounded. 
because that every man heard them speak in his own language. Now this, this, this confounds them. They don't understand. They don't understand. They've never seen anything like this before in their life. They hear them speaking. What brought them was the sound of a rushing mighty wind. What brought them was the fire that they saw. But when they got there, then they see these people speaking with other tongues. And these are Galileans. These are Galilee Jews. And they're speaking in foreign languages. Not to missionary. They were declaring the wonderful works of God. Say Amen. Those Jews knew Greek. That's right. That's right. Amen. Say amen. When this was noised abroad, the mo- say the noise. The multitude came together. Say they heard the noise. That's what brought them together. And they were confounded. They didn't understand. Because every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed. Say amazed. Next step. They were amazed. They were confounded. Then they were amazed. Are perplexed, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Come on, somebody. The 120 that are there in that upper room are Galileans. Come on, they're Greek speaking, Aramaic speaking, possibly Hebrew speaking, but maybe not. Are y'all here right now? Come on. We hear them speaking in all these different languages, but they're Galileans. Jews from Galilee. Oh. When did they learn to speak all these languages? When did they go to school to learn all these languages? These are Galilean Jews. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia. These Jews are from all over the world. 17 different dialects recorded right there. These Asian Jews. These Jews from Pontus. Come on, are y'all here today? These Jews from Parthian, the Whatever. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and Mesopotamians and Judeans and Cappadocians and Pontus and, and Asian. All, all these Jews from all over the world. 17 different dialects represented there. How? How hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? We speak that language? How can they speak that language? Oh, it's supernatural. It's from heaven. Say Amen. 17 different languages listed here. Jews and proselytes and verse 11, Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. I've never been to heaven, but I know there is one because I've heard the heavenly languages. I've never been to Mexico, but I know there's a Mexico because I've heard some of you talk Mexico. You know what I'm telling you today? I know there is a heaven. I've never been to heaven, but I've heard heavenly tongues. So I know there's a heaven today. 
tongues of men and tongues of angels. Tongues that they had not learned by education. Supernatural impartation as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. Coming out of their mouth a language they did not even understand. Coming out of them a language that they did not learn by education. God was speaking through them using their tongues. Using their hands. Using their eyes. Using their ears. Using their feet. This was God coming to them. How, 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 how can this be? These are Galileans. Oh, wow. Can you imagine that? You, if you showed up there that day, yeah. and somebody you know, they weren't, they weren't born where you were born, and they didn't know your language. All of a sudden, you show up that day, and you hear them talking your language fluently, better than you can talk. Are y'all with me right now? Praise the Lord. Hey, God, all of a sudden, move on. You feel you with the Holy Ghost. You start speaking in Hebrew. You don't understand what you're saying. But a Jew walks in and hears you speaking in Hebrew. And he knows it. This was a supernatural miracle from God Almighty. This is something brand new on this festival day called Pentecost. They had never seen anything like this. Only typical when they, saw, when they heard God speak in 70 languages back there at Mount Sinai. Blowing their mind, isn't it? They're confounded. They don't understand. They're amazed. They're perplexed. 17 different languages. It wasn't just the 12 apostles speaking in tongues. There were 17 different languages there. They were all filled. Somebody said it was only for the apostles. Are you funny? Say hallelujah to the Lamb. So you agree with me up to this point? Everything I preach to you. All right. Say praise the Lord. They were all amazed. Okay? And what were in doubt? They were perplexed. Saying one to another, what meaneth this? Oh, I love this. I love this. Look at the effect of the outpouring of the Spirit of God. Amazed. Doubt. Questioning. Inquiring. What meaneth this? Amazed. I don't understand. In doubt. My mind is defeated by what I'm seeing. I don't understand what I'm seeing in my mind. And my mind, I'm defeated in my mind. When I see this, it's casting my mind down. It's making me wonder, what does this mean? And then they, then they ask the question, what mean of this? Say, what mean of this? Emphasis on this. What meaneth this? Hallelujah. They started to try to answer their own question. What meaneth this? The Bible says. Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. They tried to explain it themselves when they seen people worshiping God and speaking in tongues and all this beautiful experience going on there. We don't understand. It's defeating our minds. What does it mean? Said some. And others said these men are full of new wine. Wrong conclusion. 
Wrong conclusion. Oh, they are drunk, but they're not drunk as you suppose. See, it's but the third hour of the day. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. And you know that nobody eats or drink before the morning sacrifice at nine o'clock. So they're not drunk as you suppose. See, it's but the third hour of the day. Oh, hallelujah. So Peter has to clarify to them what it's not. And then he starts explaining them what it is. Say hallelujah to the Lamb. But Peter's standing up with the eleven. Say, standing up with the eleven. Oh, there's Matthias. And so many people today don't believe that he was supposed to be one of the twelve. But Peter's standing up with the eleven, which means Peter's number twelve. Which means Matthias, they didn't make a mistake when they chose Matthias. Standing up with the eleven. Say, hallelujah. Wouldn't you like for the whole church, all church history to debate whether or not, you know, you were rightfully chosen to replace Judas Iscariot? Just go to the Bible. Get in the Bible. Let the Bible tell you what's there. Stop trying to read into the Scripture things that aren't there. Let the Bible tell you what it, what's there. So they're mocking. These men are full of new wine. But Peter's standing up with the eleven. Say, standing up with the eleven. Oh, that's completely, totally different because normally the rabbi said, but this man who's a preacher of the New Covenant, this man is a preacher of New Testament things, this man who's a preacher of the Kingdom of God with a new king, with a new nation, this man is standing up when he preaches. You want to know how you preach? You stand when you preach. Standing up with the eleven. See, God's got these people's attention now. He's arrested their minds. What meaneth this is the question. They're questioning their mind. Their mind is cast down. Their mind's defeated. They don't understand. They're full of doubt as to what's going on here. Say amen. So they come to some conclusions on their own which are inaccurate conclusions. So Peter's standing up with the eleven because he's got the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And he's going to tell some other people how to get into this kingdom. Say amen. But Peter stand up with the eleven, lifted up his voice. You're too loud. I don't like you. St no, stand. Lift up your voice. You gotta lift up your voice, Peter, because there's three thousand people out there that are fixing to come into the church. You gotta make sure three thousand people are hearing what you say. And he didn't have a microphone. He just stood up with the eleven and lifted up his voice. There's no doubt in his mind. This man who was fearful. This man who denied the Lord three times. This man has been changed. What has changed this fearful coward? What has changed this fearful coward is that he's anointed by God's Spirit. Now God has given him courage. God has given him power. It's supernatural courage. It's supernatural power. There's no doubt in his mind when he stands up and lifts his voice. Why they always lift their voice? Because we have the pattern in the Bible. Standing up with the eleven, Peter lifted up his voice. 
This man has changed. He's not the same man. He's got a boldness. He's got a courage. He's not afraid anymore because the Spirit of God has filled him. He's got power. He's got dunamis. He's got dynamic ability. He's got supernatural strength to go on. He's not relying on his own ability. His own. He's a weak man. He's a fearful man. He's denied the Lord. But something's changed. God is anointing that man to preach. Peter standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, you men of Judea and all you that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken unto my words. He's speaking to ye men of Judea. Are y'all here right now? And all ye that dwell at Jerusalem. Who's he speaking to? He's not speaking to Gentiles here. There doesn't need to be tongues to missionary of the world. He's speaking to you men of Judea and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem. They understand what Peter's preaching in the language he's preaching in. Say amen. amen. Give the Lord, give him praise. He said, I'm going to, I'm going to give you understanding your inquiring mind. He said, now I'm going to give you understanding as to what's really going on here. Because your first conclusion is that these are drunk on new wine. So he said, no, no, they're not drunk on new wine because it's only the third hour of the day. Okay, hallelujah. I mean, even if you weren't a devout Jew, you wouldn't drink before the morning sacrifice. I mean, you'd wait. I'm talking about liquor, alcohol. You know, even if you weren't a devout Jew, you still waited the sacrifice before you started getting tipsy. Even your old carnal backslid Jew wouldn't even eat and drink before nine o'clock in the morning. How about you? Amen. That's right. You don't drink before nine, do you? Good. All right. So Peter. The man who's got the keys of the kingdom. The man who denied Jesus Christ three times. The man who was a coward and full of fear. Something's changed in this man. Amen. Something's going to change in all of these all of these disciples. All of them forsook the Lord. But something's going to change in them. They're going to be bold and full of courage like you, like you didn't see them in times past. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb. He said, these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it's but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. So now, see, I gotta be careful because I want to hold some of this for my students. But I can at least say this to you, that he, he went and he took what they knew and applied the things of Jesus Christ to what they knew. They knew the prophet Joel. And I want to get into all the aspects of Joel and as to why God used Joel to preach to them on that day. But the whole scenario of Joel, there was a reason why Peter preached Joel to them. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb. But he stands up and he said, this was that which was spoken by what? But this is that. Say this. They said, what meaneth this? And Peter said, but this is that. And that 
is this. What meaneth this? This. Okay, watch this. This. All right. Woo. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days. See the Old Testament, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. The Old Testament is the former days. On the day of Pentecost with the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, now you're in the last days. You're in the last days right now. And the last days began on the day of Pentecost. And the last days go all the way through the tribulation period. God's still going to be pouring out His Holy Ghost until the end of the tribulation period. It is going to take place all the way to His second coming. Somebody get 1 Corinthians 1 7 for me. Real fast. I want some fast, fast people. Come on, I don't have much time. First, okay, brother, read it. So that you come behind in no gift waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gifts of the Spirit are still for us today and they will be for us today until Jesus Christ comes back. The last days. He said, this is the last days right now that you... You see this? You you are now in the last days. The Old Testament was the former days, was the top day, were the shadow days. Now you're in the days of reality. You're in the days of substance. You're in the days of fulfillment. Oh, this was prophesied by Joel. Now you're in the days he prophesied. You're in the last days. Say amen. And these last days are going to last all the way to the second coming of Jesus. And the Holy Ghost being poured out on all flesh is going to take place all the way to the second coming of Jesus. Amen. Say amen. 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 That you, so that you come behind in no gift waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gifts of the Spirit are still going to be for us today all the way to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, here we go. Peter's preaching. How many of y'all will agree with what I've said so far? Thank God. It shall come to pass in the last days, saith who? God. I will pour out my Spirit. He said, I, the Holy Ghost is not the second person in the Trinity. God says the Holy Ghost is His Spirit. When you got the Holy Ghost, you didn't get the third person of a Trinity. You got the Spirit of the living God. You got the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The Holy Ghost is the Spirit of, of God. The Spirit of Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad? It's kind of passed in the last days, saith God. This is Joel. Joel prophesied this. I will pour out of my Spirit upon all what? All flesh. Not just some. Not just the disciples. Not just to even the Jews. All flesh. You agree with me up to this point? Get in the book of Acts. Don't get away from it. Get in the book of Acts. He said all flesh. It's beautiful, isn't it? I'm glad he said all flesh because if he wouldn't have said all flesh, I wouldn't have got the Holy Ghost. If it's just for the Jews, I wouldn't have got the, I got the Holy Ghost, man. I'm all flesh. And I don't know what I am nationalistically. I got all kinds in me. All right. 
All flesh. Say all flesh. So you would agree that it's for all flesh? Oh, okay. Hmm, interesting. Praise the Lord, church. feels good when you're right. I said it feels good when you're right. Yeah, you don't feel good when you're wrong. It feels good when you're right. As you're going to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out. It says, of my spirit. But in, in Joel, it didn't say, of my spirit. He said, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And what's going to happen? Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. No distinction of age. No distinction of race. No distinction of social stratus. Strata. No distinction. Uh, you can be old. You can be young. You can be a girl. A, a little, come on, a child. Young men, old men. Handmaiden, servants. No social distinction made. No age distinction made. No gender distinction made. All flesh. Give the Lord praise in this house. And what's going to happen in this age of the Spirit, this age of the Holy Ghost, this age of the church, when people get the Holy Ghost, guess what's going to happen? Women and men are going to prophesy. Well, I just believe in men preachers. That's where you're an idiot. <laughs> Somebody called me on the telephone and said, Pastor, do you believe in women preachers? I said, I don't believe in men preachers. <laughs> well, if you don't believe in men preachers, what do you believe in? I said, I believe in Holy Ghost anointed preachers. It's not about gender. It said, well, are you filled with the Holy Ghost? God wants to use you to prophesy in the name of Jesus. The, the Spirit. This is the age of the Spirit. This is the age of the outpouring. This is the age of the church. This is the new covenant days. This is the Melchizedek priesthood. He wants to use men and women. Come on, somebody. Spirit of prophecy. Here's what kind of pass said. In the last day, saith God, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. And old men shall dream dreams. If you can't talk, if you're a mute, we need to pray for you. Are y'all here with me today? Because God wants to use you to open up your mouth to prophesy. But I can't talk, then you better pray. Because you're, if in this age, you're supposed to be able to speak the things of God. Prophecy is speaking the things of God. And if you're a mute, you need to pray through. Somebody ought to hear you speak. But I don't see visions and I don't dream dreams. Why don't you see? Why don't you hear? You know why? Because you don't respond to the Spirit of God. If you would respond to the Spirit of God, we would hear you speak. If you would respond to the Spirit of God, we would know that you see visions. Visions are for those who are watching while they're awake. Dreams are when people are asleep. 
Young men see visions. They ought to be on watch. They ought to be on guard. We ought to hear about you seeing vision, young man. Old men dream dreams. Hallelujah. Which means let the young men watch and let the old men rest. Let the old men rest. Let them dream dreams while they're asleep. And let the young men see things while they're awake. They need to, you need to be seeing something. You need to be speaking something. If you're full of the Holy Ghost, you will hear something. You will speak something. You will see something. If you're full of the Holy Ghost, and if you're responding to the Holy Ghost, get filled with the Spirit and respond to the Spirit and we'll hear you speak and we'll know you see visions and dream dreams. Say, I'm full of the Holy Ghost. Well, why are you a mute? You're a mute because you're not full of the Holy Ghost. And, and respond. If you're full of the Holy Ghost, you're not responding to the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Say amen. What kind of visions are you going to see? What kind of dreams are you going to dream? You're going to see visions of the kingdom. You're going to dream dreams about the kingdom of God. You're going to have visions about how to spread the gospel. Drink Jesus' mighty name. Give us anointed men and women of God that can hear, that can see, that can speak. Tell us what God's doing in the kingdom. See visions of the kingdom. Wake up. I know some of you are going to spit hell wide open. You don't have enough fire in you to get off the pew. You're going to spit hell wide open. You don't have enough of God in you to speak, you mute. You need to open your mute mouth. And let us hear the wonderful words coming out of your mouth. Jesus' name. Get rid of this carnality that's hindering you this morning. Get full of God's Spirit. Don't tell me. Don't tell me you're full of Holy Ghost and fire. You're a mute. And you don't hear anything. You don't see anything. It's because we're not responding to God. Because when He comes in this age of the Spirit, there will be prophesying. You're young men. Come on, somebody. Your sons, your daughters are going to prophesy. Your young men are going to see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. This is the age of the Spirit. No class distinctions. It's for everybody. But I'm not called to be a pastor. The Bible doesn't say anything about pastors here. It talks about what happens to people who get filled with the Holy Ghost. They speak with tongues. They prophesy. They see visions. They dream dreams. This is not just the preacher. This is the whole church. Where's the dreams? Where's the dreamers? Where's the visions? Where's the people who speak, who preach this gospel, who stand on every corner? Jesus is not in the limitation of his body anymore. He's in the body of the church. He's in you. He's on you. He's plunged you into his kingdom. In 30 years, these tongue-talking, prophesying, vision-seeing, dream-dreamers, these people within 30 years reached the whole world from Jerusalem all the way to Rome. Let us get full of the Holy Ghost. Let us get in a place where we're responding to God. There's a limitation on God today. The limitless God the one who's limitless in resources is limited by his own church. 
You know why he's limited by his own church? Because the Bible says we weary or grieve the Holy Ghost. We grieve the Holy Ghost in our lives. And then he says you quench the Holy Ghost. He said quench not the Holy Ghost. Quench not the Holy Ghost. He said grieve not the Holy Ghost. He said quench not the Holy Ghost. If you're grieving the Holy Ghost, that means your life is not what it's supposed to be. If you're quenching the Holy Ghost, that means your service is not what it should be. God said don't grieve the Spirit by your life. Don't quench the Holy Ghost by your servant. Understand, get up out of your defeated mentality. Get up and get filled with the Holy Ghost and power of God. Stop grieving the Spirit of God and stop quenching the Holy Ghost. Thus saith the Lord to every one of you. I know when God's talking to you, thus saith God Almighty to you this morning. Some of you grieve the Holy Ghost of God. You quench His Spirit. You don't even know what you've been doing. Well, you've been talking behind closed doors. You're grieving the Holy Ghost of God. You're quenching His Spirit in your life. You're justifying what you're doing. The limitless Christ, the one who's limitless in resources, is limited by His church who grieves His Spirit and quenches His Spirit. These people right here, so full of God, dreams and visions and prophesying. Thirty years. This book of Acts was written in 60, approximately 60 A.D. Thirty years after this experience on the day of Pentecost, they had reached all the way to Rome. All the way to Rome. It's an inspiring church and a condemning church at the same time. Inspiring to me that 120, only 120 could do that. How it grew, it grew, it grew, it grew. 120, then 3,000. It just kept on growing. And the Word of God increased. And the converts grew. They were utterly convinced. They were totally convinced that Jesus had risen from the dead. They were totally convinced that He was their King. They were totally convinced they were in a new kingdom. They were totally convinced they were in a new nation. And when Rome said, offer incense to Caesar and say Caesar is Lord, they would say Jesus is Lord. They were totally, utterly convinced. They shook their world. Grieve not. Quench not the Holy Ghost of God. The Bible says, Peter said, this is the spirit, the age of the Spirit. He said, these are the last days. He said, this is what you can expect to see. He said, yeah, there's going to be visions, kingdom, visions of the kingdom. I'm not going to be a vision, you know, I just had a vision of all these other kinds of things. You know, people have visions about all kinds of stuff. Man. Eh, Pastor, can you interpret this dream for me? I had a dream. Yeah, you ate beans. <laughs> I had a vision. Oh, I had a vision. I'm as rebellious as the devil himself. But I had a vision. Can you tell me? Oh, I want you to know when it's really God, you're going to have visions of the kingdom of God Almighty. When you dream, you're going to dream dreams about the things of God Almighty. Oh, the crazy foolishness. Crazy foolishness. And I'm hearing God, yeah. If you're hearing God, then you'd be obedient. Say hallelujah to the Lamb. You're going to see in this Acts chapter 2, you're going to see when Peter stands up, he's going to put emphasis on the Lordship of Jesus Christ. 
that He is the Lord and Christ. Emphasis on the Lordship of Jesus. Obedience. Obedience. Because they knew He was Lord, friend, there was an obedience. Woo! A total surrender of their lives to His. He was their purpose for living. He was everything to them. That's why they could shake the world in 30 years. All the way from Jerusalem to Rome. Give the Lord praise in this house. Glory to God in the highest. Help us God today. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days. Saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit. And they shall prophesy. Even slaves will prophesy. The slaves that you have in your homes today, said Peter, will be the ones who stand up in your church and preach to you. You talk about a unique situation. You got a man who owns a slave that's in the church. The man who owns the slave is sitting on the pew and the slave is standing up and prophesying to him. You talk about a unique situation. God is going to cross all lines. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb. He's not just going to use the old, He's going to use the young. He's not, come on somebody, give the Lord praise in this house. He's not just going to use the owners of the slave. He's going to use the slaves to preach to the owners. You're talking about a unique situation. Amen. One minute you're slaving for, you know, you got a guy, and you're slaving for him, serving him in his house. Okay, he's got authority over you in that way. And then you go to church, and he's your pastor. You go to church, you got to do what he tells you to do. You talk about a unique situation. God's going to blow everybody's mind with what He's doing. Hallelujah. I, I got a question for you today. What we have, is it enough to confound people? What we have, is it enough to cause people to be perplexed? What we have, is it enough for people to come and say, what meaneth this? Do we have enough of God to confound and bring people into perplexity and ask questions? If we don't, we need to wake up and get full of the Holy Ghost. When's the last time anybody ever said, explain to me what meaneth it? What is this? What has happened to you? Oh, come on, give the Lord a praise in the house. I said, give Him praise in the house. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb. Look, look, look. Peter doesn't stand up. He doesn't say, I think it might be this way. He doesn't say, well, peradventure. He doesn't say, well, maybe. He said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. This is rooted in the Word of God. God spoke it before it would happen. He pre-announced it from heaven before it came. And now it's here. Beautiful, isn't it? Thus saith the Word of God. He said, and I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood, fire, vapor, smoke. Are y'all with me right now? The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great notable day of the Lord come. If you were standing there when Jesus died on the cross and, and finished the work for, uh, for us as far as uh, redemption is concerned in the area of forgiveness of sin, you would have seen when the sun went out, you would have seen a bloody moon. 
There was an earthquake that hit that place when the when Jesus died on the cross. Earthquakes that put him out of the sun and the bloody moon. These signs were seen by them at Calvary. But those signs were pointing to a future time right before Jesus comes back and sets up His kingdom. And He's saying what Joel said is going to happen all the way from now to the end when Jesus Christ comes back and sets up His kingdom in the day of the Lord. Speaking of tongues will still be happening all the way to the second coming of Jesus. You're going to see these signs in the book of Revelation and people are still going to be speaking in tongues in the book of Revelation all the way to the second coming of Jesus, the day of the Lord. It will not end when the canon of Scripture is fulfilled. It will go all the way to the day of the Lord. These are the last days. Oh, give the Lord praise. I'll show wonders in heaven above. Signs in the earth beneath. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. There is a future coming of a literal day of the Lord where He comes to set up His earthly kingdom. But what you see right here is His spiritual kingdom. Say Amen. Amen. And that's going to go all the way to His second coming. Hallelujah. And there will be signs that precede the day of the Lord. This, oh, I just read it to you. I don't want to, have to go back through it again with you, but this is the signs he said that will precede the coming of the day of the Lord. In verse 822. Now listen, Peter's preaching, isn't he? He's preaching. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Joel says they shall be delivered. You call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. You want to find out how to be saved? Look at these people right here. Come on, somebody. Give the Lord praise in the house. Watch, 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 watch. I'm going to keep preaching. I don't care what time it is. I'm going to keep preaching to you. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I feel something breaking here. I've been up against something for, for the first hour of this message. I was up against this thing. But I feel something breaking right now. God's hitting this thing. He's hit, taking His Word like a hammer. And He's hitting this rock. He's hitting this rock. Watch. You men of Israel hear these words. Who's He pre- preaching to? You men of Judea and all you to be in Jerusalem. You men of Israel hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. A man approved of God. Jesus of Nazareth, the one that was despised. The one you thought He was worthy of death. The one you looked at in your estimation said He deserves to die on a cross. This Jesus of Nazareth, the one who was despised. Even, even Nathaniel said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? This Jesus of Nazareth, this humiliated one, This one who, are y'all here with me right now? This despised one. This one that was rejected of men. This one, this Jesus. This same Jesus. The man Christ Jesus. This man Jesus is approved by God. Approved of God. He's demonstrated of God. Say amen. He's approved of God. He's a man, the man Jesus, the Jesus of Nazareth. He is the man who is the perfect man. He's the one that was completely and totally yielded to all of the will of God. Not part of the will of God, but to all the will of God. Oh, hallelujah. 
he did not limit God. He said, not my will, but thy will be done. He gave himself to all of the will of God. He did not limit the limitless God. He is the man. But watch this. This man, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God. Listen to this. you got to understand, when Peter stands up preaching, He's going to explain this phenomenon from heaven that's happening here. And he's preaching to people who not long ago just nailed this Jesus to a cross. Oh, are y'all here right now? And he's fixing to take the prophetic message of Joel and show how Joel's prophecy relates to the Christ of God. The one they just got through nailing to a tree. The one they judged as unworthy to even live. He said, this Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of who? God. A man approved of God among you. He was perfect in everything that he did. He did not limit the limitless God. He did all the will of God. Everything he heard God say as a man, he did it. Everything he saw God as a man, he did it. He did not limit the limitless God. Help us, church, to not limit the limitless God by grieving and quenching the Holy Ghost. Get rid of your carnal thinking. Oh, I give God praise in this house today. He's a man, a man. Say a man. Approved of God or literally demonstrated of God. Oh, I love it. God approved him. And the proof that God approved him was this. He says he approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs. The word miracle means powers. He said, you know that he was approved of God because you saw the powers. Are y'all here? The miracles in his life. Every miracle that he did was an approval from God. Every power that he performed was a, an approval or a demonstration of God telling you that that man is of God. You didn't think he was of God, but God said the miracles that he worked in his life, proved that he was proved of God. Give the Lord praise in the house. I'm telling you, right now, God's fixing to use Peter to bring conviction on a whole group of people, about 3,000 in number. They have just crucified him and thought in their mind he's worthy of death. They said he's a curse of God because cursed is every man that hangs on a tree. This man could not be God. He's a bastard son. He is the mother of He's the son of an illegitimate woman. But now Peter's going to stand up and tell them that what you see is connected to that Jesus. What you see. He said, let me tell you, his life was approved of God by the miracles that he did. The power that was in his life demonstrated that he was approved of God. Hallelujah, mighty God. The powers. And then he said, and the wonders. You know the wonders. 
that he performed. A wonder is something that will make your eyes pop out of your head. A wonder is something that will cause you to ask questions. Wonder about this. What meaneth this? I wonder what has just happened here. What is this all about? Wonderment. I want you to know the Bible tells us on the day of Pentecost when they got filled with the Holy Ghost they were in amazement. They were full of wonder. If you ever lose the wonder of Pentecost you have lost it. Help me to preach today God. Some of you have lost the wonder of it all. You've lost the wonder of Pentecost. When you lose the wonder of it all you've lost it my friend. Get the wonder of it back up. Peter said he was demonstrated and approved by God by the powers of God in his life and by the wonders of God that he performed. You know the word. It caused you to just stand back in amazement, not understand how that could possibly take place. That was God demonstrating his approval in the man Christ Jesus. Are y'all here? Give the Lord praise. And he said, not only wonders, but signs. Signs were the effects of the powers and the wonders. It left you with something when you saw it. It wasn't just the miracle you were focused on. It pointed you to the one who did the miracle. When you're driving down the road and you see a sign that says 35 miles to Crane, you don't get out of your car and look at the sign and stare at it. The sign is pointing you on to your destination. And when God worked miracles or powers and wonders and signs, the sign was pointing back to Jesus. The sign was telling you to go on. The sign was telling you to get to Him because He's approved of God. The sign demonstrated, demonstrated that He was God. The power demonstrated He was God. The wonder demonstrated He was God. The listen, the sign demonstrated He was God. Get to Jesus. Get to Jesus. He's the perfect man. He's not just Jesus of Nazareth, the despised one. He's the perfect man yielded to the will of God. And what you saw in his life was proof that he was of God. Hallelujah to the Lord. You said he was worthy to die, but God approved him when he raised him from the dead, especially. Now watch this. Now listen. All right. Woo which God did by Him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. God working through that man Christ Jesus. This Jesus of Nazareth, not just a man, but this Jesus of Nazareth, God Himself. Are y'all awake today? Hallelujah. I need you to wake up. I need you to wake up. Verse 23 Number three, he said, him. Say him. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. This was planned by God. The word determinate means horizon or horizon. He said everything that happened with Jesus was within the boundaries or the determinate counsel of God. It was in God's boundary. It was in God's plan. God planned it all. All right. So that's one side of the story. It was God's plan. He's the one who had the boundaries around the plan. Determinate counsel of God. Are y'all here right now? 
So, if you think he died by accident, God, by his determinate counsel, he's the one who planned it, and he laid the horizon or the boundaries around that plan. It wasn't an accident. Oh, y'all here right now. God planned it out. It was in his boundaries. Now, listen, listen, listen. This man Peter is preaching now. The Bible says, Ye have taken in by wicked hands, have crucified and slain. It was God's plan. It wasn't an accident. It was in his determinate counsel. But you, are y'all with me right now? Now he jumps to the human side of the event. He jumps to the human side of Calvary. He jumps to the human side of the cross. He said, you've taken by wicked hands. Sin above sin. Sin like no sin before it. When you took him and you crucified him, you did it with wicked hands on the human side. A sin you committed like no sin before it. It was dastardly. It was wicked. It was evil. It was motivated by evil. You were sinners and committed a horrible sin when you took him and nailed him to that cross. So on the one hand, it was God's plan and God's boundaries, His design. But on the other hand, you by wicked hands did it. Oh, give the Lord praise in this house. And now we come to the fourth leg of his message. He said, Whom God raised, God hath raised up. Notice, God did this, God did that, God this, God that, God this, God that. It was God, 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 God. Whom God hath raised up. That's the fourth one in the midst of the seventh. So that the fourth statement is the centrality of our message. Jesus is alive. You crucified him and found him worthy of death. But God raised him from the dead. That's the fourth one. It's in the middle of the seventh. It's the centrality of our message. He's telling them Jesus is alive today. Woo, glory to God in the highest. And because he's alive and resurrected, this is why the Holy Ghost has been poured out. It's the proof that he lives. Oh, I love him. 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 <coughs> Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. It was impossible for death to hold him. Because he who knew no sin became sin for us. He was not worthy of death. You said he deserved to die. You said that he wasn't of God. You said he was a blasphemer. You said that and you crucified him. But let it be known he was not worthy of death. He didn't deserve to die. God raised him from the dead. Dead could not hold him because he didn't deserve to die. Oh, hallelujah. The only reason why he died is for you and for me. The reason why he died, he died for the sheep. Not because he was guilty of evil. Not because of anything he had done wrong. He died for the sheep. So it was impossible for death to hold him because he was sinless. 
but it became sin for us. So God raised him from the oak. Can you imagine about right now? These people are starting to sweat. They are starting to get nervous because they thought they had done the right thing when they nailed him to a cross. Oh, are you with me right now? But Peter's preaching about Jesus. He's alive now. The Bible said, watch this. It couldn't be held. So verse 25, he begins to explain why the grave or death couldn't hold him. I don't know if I really need to go into this. I'm going to let the Lord lead me. But what Peter begins to preach from the Psalms, what Peter says from David, uh, the Holy Ghost through David concerning Jesus Christ are absolutely, totally phenomenal. The Bible tells us the reason why the grave couldn't hold him. It says, oh yes, Lord, I love you now. He said, for David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord. Say the Lord. The Lord. Hallelujah. Are you with me? I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for He is on my right hand that I should not be moved. He's speaking of Jesus. When Jesus walked this earth, He was always beholding the face of God. He always kept the throne in His vision. He refused to yield to original evil. Oh, glory to God in the highest. Help me. I don't know if I need to go into this today or not. Jesus, I need you to help me today. Listen to me. Death couldn't hold him because he would not submit to what the angels, when they fell with Lucifer, did. They left their habitation. They left their orbit. They left their proper habitation. They left their orbit that God put them in. They sinned against God because they forgot that he was the one on the throne. Jesus comes. He's not an angel, but he's like an angel in his standing. He stays in his habitation and he stays in his orbit. He refuses to choose anything but the will of God inside of him. He said, I will not be moved. I will not be moved. I will continue in my allegiance to the one that's on the throne. He's speaking as a man. He is the one on the throne. But as a man, he's so committed to God that he would not choose within himself to abandon his allegiance to God. He said, the Lord is always before my face. He, I've got him in his rightful place. I'm not going to deviate in my mind from the habitation God has put me in or the orbit I'm supposed to operate in. I will not give my mind to rebellion. I will not disobey the Spirit of God. I will not be like Lucifer who forgot that God was on the throne. I will not abandon my habitation or my orbit. I will say, not my will but thy will be done. I will in myself obey God completely and totally with everything that's in me I will not yield myself to evil I will not yield myself to rebellion I will keep the Lord before my face you need to understand that when Jesus came he was a unique man he was God and man at the same time he was more than a man are y'all here because he was God Whew. He was more than God because He was a man. 
And so because He came a unique being, a, new, a completely new, new, brand new creation. Are y'all with me? I'm talking about His humanity. A completely unique individual, God and man at the same time. Not created by God. Are y'all here with me? I'm talking about His humanity, yes, but no, He is the Creator. Because He's so new, He's so unique, He's the God-man. It is possible if He had chosen to will against the will of God, if He would have yielded His will and said no to God, He would have started a completely new origin of evil. Because origination or origin of evil began with Lucifer, not Adam. And what kept Jesus from creating a new origin of evil in this world is because the Bible says, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for He is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Give the Lord some praise in this house. That's why death couldn't hold Him. He had victory over original evil when he completely, totally obeyed God in every area of his life. Not one thought of rebellion. Not ever disobeying him. Always full of allegiance to the one on the throne. Are y'all with me today? So death was not, he got victory over that. Uh, he got victory over original evil. He got victory over what Lucifer did when he fell and disobeyed God. Uh, he didn't succeed. Uh, 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 he did not fall into that. So now watch this. And then he says, watch, I want you to see this. I asked God to help me because I didn't know if I was supposed to bring it to you. But I'm going to bring it to you now. You need to hear this. Why couldn't death hold him? Because he refused to do what Lucifer did. Now watch. Now we're going to move to a position of manhood. He was a man. But he did not yield to the outward pressures. The first one, he didn't, he didn't yield himself inwardly. He said, I will not be moved. The second one is, nothing will move me. The first one, he said, I will not be moved. The second one was, nothing will move me. Nothing on the outside of me will move me. All the temptations around me, all the attacks of the enemy from the outside against me, he said, that will not move me. So now he's going, he's standing as a man with all the temptations that you and I go through. See, I can never say I stood in the position of an angel, nor can you. So I, I can never be guilty of original evil. But I can tell you this, that you're a man and I'm a man and we have all fallen short of the glory of God and we have yielded to temptations in our lives that we should not have yielded to in our lives. But this man, Christ Jesus, defeated even original evil and he defeated the outward temptation. He said, I will not be moved in the first one and the last one. In the second one, he says, nothing will move me. Nothing will move me. No temptation. No attack. No lies. Nothing moved God. Nothing moved Jesus. So this is what he's now standing as a man. Now watch this. So I'm, t- oh, are you hearing me now? Whew, beautiful. I love you, Jesus. 
But David speaks concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. You want to you stay right with God on the inside and say, I will not be moved? You have to keep God in His rightful place in your life. If you don't, you'll be full of rebellion and full of disobedience. Yes, sir. And you'll become a fallen angel. Yes, sir. Amen. You'll become like Lucifer. Yes, sir. Say amen. You gotta keep, oh, I'm, I'm preaching this for me. I gotta keep him before my eyes. I've always gotta see him. He's the Lord. He's the king in my life. I'm not calling the shots. He is. If I don't keep him focused, if I don't keep him in focus, if I don't keep him in throne, in throne in my life, I will give up my allegiance to him. In this second part. He is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Y'all with me? Isn't this beautiful? He said, now nothing's going to move me. Because He's on my right hand. He's the one who gives me the strength I need. He said, when the war comes against me and the temptations come against me from the outside, He said, I'm not going to be moved because He's at my right hand. He's my strength and my salvation. And I want you to know I come under attack and you come under attack at times. And the, what's going to keep you right with God is He's on my right hand. I shall not be moved. That is not going to move me because God is my strength. So He overcomes with me? The fall of Satan and the fall of man in that verse. That's why death could not hold him. And then the next thing, spirit. Spiritually, death could not hold him because he had no sin in his life. So because he did not sin, he only assumed the responsibility for sin. But because he never sinned, death couldn't hold him spiritually. Give God praise. Watch. He said, Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made me know, made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Oh, isn't that beautiful? He said, death can't hold me. He said, I'm full of joy. I'm full of the joy of the Lord. He said, my soul shall rest in hope. That means when you take me off of this cross and you put me in the grave, death can't hold me because I'm not guilty of sin. He said, my soul shall rest in hope. He said, I'm going to rejoice. Oh, God. For the joy that was set before Him. He endured the cross, despising the shame. Death couldn't hold Him because He wasn't guilty of His own personal sin. He assumed the responsibility for your sin and mine. That's why death couldn't hold Him. Oh, give the Lord praise. Victory over sin. Originally, victory over sin. Temptation on the outside. Victory over sin spiritually. Yes, sir. 
That's why death could not hold him. You see what Peter's doing? He's going back to the centrality of our message. And he's explaining the resurrection from the dead. Give God praise. What meaneth this, they said? He's telling them. Verse 29. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried his sepulchres with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. The one you crucified is raised and sitting on the throne today. And He's defeated. He's victorious over every aspect of sin. You see that? And Peter's saying, it's not David. David's not talking about himself. He's talking about his seed. He's talking about the Messiah. He's talking about the Lord. He's talking about the Christ of God. Are y'all here today? Hallelujah to the Lamb. Let me tell you, you and I really, you'll really know when you're really serving God, when religion attacks you. I told my wife just the other day, this city is full of a religious spirit. Said, I don't know where eventually this church is going to go, but I believe there's going to come a time that the way the church operates as a church today will be no longer. Because we are up against a spirit of this age and a spirit that is in this city that is so religious. We have to be walking in great discernment as a church in these, in these final hours to even discern the religion. And I'm not even talking about necessarily about the false churches. You can be in a Pentecostal apostolic church and be as religious as the next. My battle and this church's battle does not come from the ungodly sinner out there. It comes from the religious spirit in this city. And it was the religious spirit of Jesus' day that took Him and nailed Him to a cross and said He was worthy of death. And if you and I don't wake up in this age, you will fall under the same religious deception. David is saying, or Peter's saying through David, preaching from David the prophetic message that God gave him. He said, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the perfect man, the one who you crucified, but was in the plan of God. He raised Him from the dead. This is why death couldn't hold him. Victory over original sin. Victory over the sin that are on the outside temptation. Victory over spiritual sin. That's why death couldn't hold him. The reason why he died was because he was dying and became responsible for your sin. So, he's coming out. And Peter said he wasn't talking about himself. He's talking about the Messiah. Do you understand what I'm telling you, church? I love you with all my heart. You know I love you with all my heart, but I'm going to tell you, the same Spirit that crucified the Christ of God is the same Spirit that's against the church of the living God this hour. 
religion. And if you've got a religious spirit, if I've got a religious spirit, we better repent. Because we will be so deceived and so confused, we'll miss everything that God is doing. He says, therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ. That his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. Watch this. His body didn't even decay. Didn't see any corruption. It was an incorruptible body. They took him off that cross, put him in a tomb for three days and nights, and his body did not begin to decay. This Jesus, say this Jesus, hath God raised up whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted. Are y'all with me? And it's beautiful. The next statement he makes, he says, he's on the right hand of God exalted. He's ascended up to sit on the right hand of God. That means he's on the throne right now. You're not waiting for him to come back to sit on his throne. He's sitting on the throne right now. That's what Peter's telling those Jews. God is vindicated, the Christ of God. He's vindicated Jesus, raising him from the dead. Now he's a sinner, he's exalted, he's sitting on the right hand of God. He's got all power and authority in every dominion. He has the power and authority over political dominions, religious dominions, over everything in this world. He has the authority. He has the final word. He's sitting on the throne right now. Give the Lord praise. Being, being by the right hand of God, exalted. Exalted. And having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost. You with me? Number six. Having received of the, of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost. What did He receive? The promise. The promise of the Holy Ghost. Jesus was given the right to impart eternal life because of what He did. The promise of the Father, the Holy Ghost, He was given the right to impart that because of what He did on the cross. Give God praise. He has shed forth, number seven, He has shed forth this which ye now see and hear. Seven legs of his preaching. Watch. Isn't that beautiful? For David is not ascended in the heavens, but he said to himself, The Lord said unto my right hand, Sit thou on my the Lord said unto, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy foot still. Say until. Not while, but until. This is not completed prophecy yet. 
it will be completed when he comes back to the earth and judges and defeats all enemies. Say, until. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly. See what I'm telling you? These men, these apostles, these disciples, this church were utterly convinced that Jesus was the true king and that they were part of a new kingdom and a part of a new nation and they were convinced he was resurrected and they were convinced he was sitting on the throne. They were utterly convinced. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Messiah. He is both Lord and Christ. He's not only Lord in His deity, but He's Lord in His humanity. He walked as a prophet. He died as a lamb. He rose as a high priest. He ascended up as King of kings and Lord of lords. He is not only Lord in His deity, but He's Lord in His humanity. The Lordship of Jesus. The Messiahship of Jesus. When He establishes that, He starts with the man Jesus of Nazareth and He ends with it and says, He's the Christ of God. He's the Lord. He's the one you were looking for. He's the one they prophesied about. And you crucified Him. God raised him up. Say the Lord. Jesus whom you crucified, He hath made, God hath made Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He's speaking of His humanity. He's God, but He's speaking of His humanity. He's Lord. When Peter got through preaching that, that death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and lordship of Jesus Christ, when he got through preaching that, the conviction of God hit those people. You want New Testament results? Preach the way Peter preached. And you'll get New Testament results. The Bible says, when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. Conviction gripped their spirit. But conviction did not save them. There are so many people that are convicted but are never saved. Conviction, they're pricked in their hearts in their heart, and said unto Peter, and to the what? Rest of the apostles. Men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? How can we be a part of His kingdom? How can we be a part of this new covenant, this new nation? He's the Lord. We crucified Him. How can we get right? 
What shall we do? Say with me, what shall we do? Did Peter say, stand up and raise your hand and make a decision for Jesus? Did he say, stand up and receive Jesus as your Lord? Did he say, come and shake the pastor's hand and you'll be in the church? Did he say, Jesus will give you security and health and wealth and a better job if you'll come to Him. He didn't promise them security, health, wealth, a better job. He didn't say join the denomination of your choice. He didn't say accept Jesus as your Savior. He didn't say lift your hand and make a decision for Christ. He didn't say come and shake the pastor's hand and you'll be in the church. What did Peter say? He said, repent. Change your mind. Recognize He's the Lord. Recognize He's the Christ of God. Recognize that what you did was a mistake. It was planned by God. But recognize that your assumption and your valuation of Him was wrong. Believe what you've heard me preach. Believe in His death, burial, resurrection. Believe that He is approved of God. Believe that He's the Lord and He's the Christ of God. Change your mind. Change your thinking concerning who He is. He's the Lord. He's the Messiah. Change your mind. Repent. Repent. Change your mind. But a talent to change your mind. And that change of mind will lead to a change of direction and a change of action. You're going one way right now. You're the Lord of your own life. You are the one running your own life. You're leading your own life. You're walking and you're walking straight to hell. Get a, get a change. Repent. Turn around and start heading to Jesus. Turn around and start heading to heaven. Turn your back on the devil. Turn your back on hell. And turn your back on, on all that sin and turn to Jesus. Repent. That's the first thing He told him. He didn't say accept Jesus as your Savior, lift your hand and give a decision. He didn't say shake the pastor's hand or join the church of your choice. He didn't tell you to become a part of the domination. He said repent. Change your mind. Change your mind. Oh, give God praise. Change your mind. And be baptized, every one of you. He's preaching. There's fixing to be 3,000 people after he gets through preaching coming to the church just like that. 3,000. How are they going to come in the church? By repenting and being baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of your sins. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, yes. Repent. Change your mind about Him. Get baptized in the name of Jesus. 
and exit this world of judgment. Exit the world that has the judgment of God upon it. Come out of that age. Come out of that world. Exit from it by being baptized in Jesus' name. Enter into His Lordship. Enter into His name. Have His name invoked over you in baptism. Enter into the name of Jesus. That's what it literally means. Enter into the name. Have it invoked over you. Have it called over you. And when you do, you'll exit that world. You will exit that world. And you will... Are y'all with me? Begin to declare, Jesus is the Lord. As I come to a close, I will tell you that if you go to a church and you lift your hands and make a decision, or if you join the church of your choice, or if you shake the pastor's hand and think that was enough to get you in the kingdom, I will tell you, you're not in the Bible. Because Peter said none of that. He said none of that. He said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Are y'all here? Enter into His name. Have His name called over, invoked over you. And you shall, ye shall. Here we go again. Ye shall. Now he's preaching to people beyond the 120. He says, and ye shall receive the Rhea of the Holy Ghost. The gift of the Holy Ghost. A gift for nothing. You can bring absolutely nothing. You cannot earn this. You cannot buy this. It is Doria. It's the gift of the Holy Ghost. A gift for absolutely nothing. You have to come empty handed and say by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'll enter into His name. I'll have His name called upon me. Have my sins remitted. I'm exiting this world. When you do that church... That's when your relatives will begin to hate you. Because they know what you have done. In some cases, better than you know. Because as long as you were part of a denomination, as long as you shook the pastor's hand, as long as you made a, you know, lifted your hand and made a decision for Jesus Christ, they kept on being your friend. But when you got baptized in Jesus' name, they knew you exited the world and you entered into the body of Jesus Christ having been filled with the Holy Ghost. And that's when your relatives started giving you trouble. That's when they started hating you. You know I'm telling you the truth. When you're a part of that religious world out there, Oh yeah, no problems. There was no contention in your home. There was no problems. There was no differences and disagreements and all this fussing and fighting and trying to pull you out of the church and all that. But when you got in the kingdom, that's when your whole family started fighting you because they know even better than you do something is real with this. 
You're no longer a part of their little club. You're not religious anymore. You are in the body of Christ. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Daria, a gift that with nothing. Just because of what Jesus did. The finished work of the cross. The blood of Jesus. Do you understand? Isn't that beautiful? He said, okay, I will say this. Let me, let me finish. Let me get on this. Right? Why is that not preached in every church in America? This is New Testament Christianity. This is how you get in the church. This is what Peter preached to tell you how to be saved. If this is not preached, it comes well short of New Testament evangelism. Did you hear what I said? If I say, come to Jesus, come to Jesus, and you'll have wealth and security, and you'll have a good job, and I'm not preaching the message of New Testament Christianity. That may be the result. You may be blessed that way, but I'm talking about coming into the kingdom. Anything less than this message falls short of New Testament evangelism. Come on, get with me. There is no such animal in the New Testament church who didn't have the Holy Ghost and who wasn't baptized in Jesus' name. No such animal. No such animal. I boldly declare to you, church, that if you do not have every part of that experience in your life, you are not in the New Testament church. I boldly declare it to you. And I declare to every one of you who are compromising with this message, you got to get this burning in your spirit. And if you do, we will evangelize this area. Or if you have in your mind, all you got to do is lift your hand and make a personal decision or shake the pastor's hand or become a part of the denominational system and that's your mindset or, or go to the church of your choice, if that's your mindset, we will never evangelize this nation. You have to be utterly, totally convinced. There is no such thing as anybody in the New Testament church not baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost speaking with the tongues. I'll let God be the judge as to where people will end up eternally, but I will always preach this message because it's in the Bible. Stay away from the book of Acts? What are you talking about? That would be that would mean I'd have to stay away from the New Testament church. The message is preached to the New Testament church showing you how to get into the kingdom of God. Why don't you preach it, preacher? I would hate to be in the shoes of some of these preachers. I'm trying to show you what New Testament Christianity is really all about. Are you thankful today? Okay, so as I come to a close, have you ever noticed that once you got baptized in Jesus' name and got filled with the Holy Ghost, that's when you started having relative problems? I was having relative problems before. Well, yeah, but not like you did after you got baptized. 
they're doing everything they could to get you out of the church of the living God. These people were a distinct people. They were a unique people. There was nobody like them in the world. When you come into the church, my friend, you haven't got personal religion. You have become the, a part of the body of Jesus Christ. He sees through your eyes, speaks through your mouth, works with your hands, walks in your feet. You are a part of the body of Christ. You don't have personal religion anymore. Your thinking has to be completely about the church. The church meeting today, I'll be there. What's the church doing? I'll be there. Pastor calls a meeting, I'm there. Because it's not personal religion. It is about a body. You're a corporate body. He's the head. We're the body. You can't separate the two. You are distinct. You are unique. You're different. Don't try to fit into the culture. The culture has to come and fit in you. Well, we need to fit in the culture. No, the culture has to come in here. Because this is a new nation. This is a new kingdom. We serve the true king. He is the Lord. He's God. Caesar is not Lord. And we know no man after the flesh. So if you're catering to natural relationships, you are missing God. So, he doesn't say anything about success and wealth and a better job. Because when they, I'm almost done. I know this has been long, but I'm going to preach till the anointing goes. Or till I'm done. My friend, brothers, sisters. Listen to me. Brothers, sisters. Mr., Mrs., whoever you are. When those people in that day, later on in history, when they got baptized in Jesus' name, they were so unique and so different from their world. They walked from the baptismal tank straight to the arenas to be fed to the lions. When you come into New Testament Christianity in the church, get ready. You may not get wealth. You may not get security. You may get fed to the lions. Hear what I'm telling you. They went down in Jesus' name and served notice on the world that He is the true Lord and King. And when they said, you offer incense to Caesar and you call Him Lord, they said, absolutely not. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And the reason why Paul said one baptism is because in the New Testament church there was no such thing as getting water baptized and then getting the Holy Ghost later on. There was one experience of water and spirit. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Because when they went down in water in Jesus' name, it was automatic they got the Holy Ghost. We today, people baptize in Jesus' name and then we, we get around the altar and pray with them for six hours and they finally break through, you know. And, that's not in the New Testament. 
They didn't pray for the Holy Ghost. They received it. When they went down in water in the name of Jesus and had their sins washed away, they came up speaking in tongues. Didn't pray for it. They received it. Right then. Same time. One event. That's true New Testament Christianity. For the promise is unto you and to your children. And to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Is He still calling today? The message is the same. All the way beyond signs and the wonders of the heavens, the pillars of fire, the blood turning, the moon turning blood red, sun turning to dark. This Experience will be preached all the way to the second coming of Jesus. Promises unto you to your children, all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. It's not just for the Jews, but it's for those that are far off, the Gentiles. It's for all flesh. Jesus, when He came, He didn't just come in Jewish flesh. The Bible says He was made flesh. It doesn't say He was made Jewish flesh. He was made flesh. He was humanity. That's what's important. Yeah, I know He was Jewish. I know He had that nationality. But He was flesh. He identified with all humanity when He came. When He poured out His Spirit, He poured out His Spirit on all flesh. Focus of religion today. Many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. I've told you how now. Save yourselves from this. This book of Acts is a book of salvation. It's a book of the Spirit, brother. If you want to find out how to be saved, you've got to read, you've got to get in the book of Acts. Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Come out of this age, this generation. Exit it by baptism. Enter into the kingdom of God by being filled with the Spirit. Come into the new covenant. Into a new priesthood. Y'all here today? I thank God for it. It changed my life. What does it take to be a part of Jesus Christ's church? We've already found out. You preach His death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and lordship. It will bring people to obedience, then repentance, then baptism in Jesus' name, in filling of the Holy Ghost, and as a part of the church, you will begin to practice this lifestyle that I'm about to read. Then they that gladly received His word were baptized. The same day they were added unto them about three thousand souls. We got three thousand people in one day added to the added to them. The word "add" means to stand forward. 
It means to be added to something that's already there. They were added to the 120 that had already experienced this. And they were also added to the Lord. Because ultimately, let me go back to Ecclesia. It's not just an assembly of peculiar people. And it's not just people who rule over a city. The Ecclesia is the Lord's. The church is that which belongs to Him. So 3,000 were added to who? To the church, to the body, to the 120, to the Lord. That's how they became a part of His body. Aren't you thankful for the truth? 3,000 added. I say about, about, about. And they continued. Here we go, watch. Are you sure you're in the church? Have you obeyed? Have you repented, baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost? Are you sure you're a part of the church? God wants you to be. He died. Buried, rose again. Once they came into the church, added to the church, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Qualifications for church membership. I've already mentioned the first ones. I bring you to the next one. That you continue in the apostles' doctrine. Can't be a part of the church of Jesus Christ if you don't do those first and then this one. Continue. Say continue. Continue. Steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Say amen. We're going to continue steadfastly in the Apostle's Doctrine in this church. Say hallelujah to the Lamb. Next, to be a part of this church, not only do they continue steadfastly in the Apostle's Doctrine, but in fellowship. Say fellowship. I mean fellowship. Fellowship. And it doesn't mean that they had potluck dinners. They might have. Fellowship. Fellowship comes from the Greek word koinonia. Fellowship means this. Communion. Communication. Contribution. Distribution. Partnership. Partaking. Are y'all here? If you were in fellowship with the church, you contributed, you distributed, you partook, you had communion, you had communication, you were in a partnership. Are you in the church? If you are, lift your hand. Do you have fellowship with your brothers and sisters? Are you hiding yourself? Oh, I got my eyes on you. You're scaring me. Because when you come into the church, you will have fellowship with the body. You will have fellowship with the church. If you don't, big problem. Huge. Fellowship, again, is communication, communion, partaking, 
partnership, contribution, distribution. Say amen. amen. And in breaking of bread. I'm breaking bread this morning. And I've been breaking bread for about two, three hours. Breaking bread. How'd they break bread? Again, it wasn't a potluck dinner. We break bread when we preach the Word. Amen? We break bread. The Word of God is the bread. We break bread when we have the Lord's Supper. That was a part of the church. And in what? Prayers. This was a praying church. If you have a praying church, you have a powerful church. A church that doesn't pray has no power. If you don't pray, you have no power. If I don't pray, we have no... I got the Holy Ghost. We were filled with the Holy Ghost. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. That literally means they entered in at that moment through the door. It's not that you enter in and go back out of the Holy Ghost. And enter in and go back out of the Holy Ghost. When it says they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, that means they entered into the sphere of the Spirit and that's where they are and that's where you are. You're not going in and out of the door. You are in the sphere of the, in the, sphere of the Spirit right now. You have entered into. That's the tense. You may be refilled. But really all it is is a yielding of your, of your spirit to His. I'm not going in and out of the Spirit. Once you get born in the kingdom, you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you are in the Spirit, not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit, not in the flesh. You don't go in and out. I know you feel like you do. I do sometimes. I feel like I'm in the Spirit. I'm out of the Spirit. I'm in. No. When you got filled with the Spirit, you entered into. It's not going in and out. But prayer brings you into the power of the Spirit. So maybe honestly, church, the battle that I was facing about the first hour, hour and a half here to try to preach may not have anything to do with you. It may be prayerlessness on my part. It may be that I'm not praying enough. Because if I was praying enough, maybe there'd be enough power of God in me to the moment I stand behind the pulpit. There's a move. You understand what I'm trying to tell you? So I know the importance of prayer. That's a part of being in the church is that you are a prayer warrior. You pray. When we have a call prayer meeting, Sister Christina calls a prayer meeting for the women. You need to be there if you are going to fulfill this passage. It's not the day to run. Now, if you do it every once in a while, I mean, we're not going to be, we're not going to be legalistic. It's not, but let me just put it to you this way. It's not the day for you to go check out your son playing football. If there is a called prayer, you need to be there. Say amen. Amen. 
Well, just one, okay, once, whatever. But it, it normally don't just not just one time. It ends up being every every Thursday night. You know what I'm telling you? Amen. Say prayer. prayer. You can ask my wife. See, she walks through the door. How's prayer meeting? How's your prayer meeting? Oh, good. Sometimes I ask the question, everybody there? She says, well, I didn't really look around. I say, well, I'm asking, everybody there? And after a while, maybe two to three days later, she says, you know, I don't think so. And sister was there. I don't know where she was. I said, I don't either because she didn't call me. I am not telling you that you can't ever participate in the things of your children, but I am telling you that you can set that as a pattern in your life. And so can I. I'm not going to say you can't ever do it. I'm just telling you the church better be first place in your life. Because if it's not first place in your life, you're teaching that to your children. You're telling them Baal is more important than God. Education is more important than God. That's Baal. Did you hear what I said? If you make education more important than God, if you make sports more important than God, if you make things more important than God, that's Baal worship. That's just the way it is. And then we wonder why our lives are falling to pieces. So a part of the church, their prayer. And fear came upon every soul. Look at this. I mean, this church was so filled with the wonder of it all. They never lost the wonder of Pentecost. I said, if you lost the wonder of Pentecost, you've lost it all. They never lost the wonder of Pentecost, man. They continued the apostles' doctrine steadfastly. Jesus help me. Cornelia fellowship. Breaking of bread. Prayers. No wonder this church had revival. Say amen. Do you, are you still filled with the wonder of it all? Fear came upon every soul. When these people walked up, people that weren't in the church, when these people walked up, it gripped those people with fear. Something unique about that individual. Something puts me in fear. They are so distinct. They are so unique. They are so different. They're not trying to fit into the culture. The culture is full of fear. These are the Christian ones. These are anointed ones. This is the body of Jesus Christ. It's scaring the devil half to death. you got the body of Christ on every corner. Jesus is no longer limited to His flesh. They're turning the world upside down. They'd rather be in a prayer meeting than a football game. They'd rather be in a prayer meeting than be fed to lines any day. Because most of your sports things back then was feeding you to the lines. That's right. 
I'm telling you, as your pastor, some of you are so absorbed. You have become captives to sports or education or other things. You are captured by it. Baal is raising his head once again. You hear what I'm telling you? Now listen, okay, I'm closing, but I'm telling you, I'm not preaching against sports. I'm not preaching against education. I'm not preaching against things. But I'm telling you, this is the way the church was. This was their focus. Was the Lordship of Jesus Christ. My kids are in sports. My kids are being educated. We might miss a prayer meeting. I think Chris has only missed one prayer meeting because of a meeting. But I'm telling you, that is not, that's the exception, not the rule. For some of you, that's all it's about. Okay, I don't even really know if this needs to be on tape, but we can work with it. But my young girl came to me, my daughter, she just started a new school, a Christian school. They had a football game, you know. She comes to me, Dad, Mom, she would like to go to that football game with my friends over there. She's making a lot of friends over there. They invite her to go. Baby, it's church family night. How can I compromise with that? Because for me, it's not just about throwing a ball down an alley. It's about getting together with you. I know we're busy. I know we're tired. I know we don't have money. But that's not what it's about. It's about koinonia. It's about fellowship. I say, well, you go to that, go to the church family thing, and then if you have time, maybe go to the game afterwards. Then we changed our mind on that. Just it wasn't going to work. You understand? You cannot give your children the idea that something's more important than God in His church. Because you will lose them. And how are you going to get them back? So this is what constitutes the church of the New Testament. Death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Recognizing His Lordship and, and Messiahship. And that Lordship producing obedience and repentance and water baptism in His name and the exiting of this world that has judgment on it anyway. Into His kingdom, into a new nation, into a, a new covenant. And then as a part of that body, then we begin to practice certain things that they practice. We preach like they, like He preached and we practice certain things that they practice and, and that is continuing steadfastly in the Apostles' doctrine, koinonia, fellowship, breaking bread, prayers, and fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Do you want everybody when they come in here to not have any fear at all? You want everybody to come into this church and feel comfortable in their sin? And feel comfortable in their lifestyle? Do you want that? Then if you want that, you're not a New Testament church. Because if you're a New Testament church walking the way you're supposed to walk with God, you will bring fear on all those that are around. You will strike conviction in them. They will feel uncomfortable around you until they come into the church. 
you understand that? You're not trying to cater to everybody's flesh. You're not trying to make everybody feel good in God. You hear me, church? When we really walk the way we're supposed to walk, when we walk into our, the, our, our family members' houses, fear should grip them. There were people in the time of the Reformation, friend, they didn't even have all the truth that you got. They would walk into bars. They had enough God in them. Some of them probably had the Holy Ghost. Walk in bars. And they walked in bars. And revival broke out. Fear gripped the whole joint. When a preacher walk in, a, a young girl walked up this preacher, he walked in, a young girl walked up to him, said, will you dance with me? He fell to his knees and he said, how can I sin against you, O oh God? And when he fell to his knees in that bar and cried out to God and said, how can I sin against you, O oh God? Revival hit! That joint. People have less truth than you do. Had convictions in a walk with God. It sent revival and shuddering through their cities. Bars closing down. But they had conviction. Conviction. On what they knew, they had conviction. They lived what they knew. It shook their cities. It put their cities in fear. Reverential, deep reverential awe hit those. Fear came upon every soul. And it's not just, listen church, I know it's lengthy, but I, I, it's not just the people in the world that feared. It was the church that feared. When it says fear fell upon every soul, it was the people in the church that feared. That means they had a deep reverential awe. They never lost that deep reverence for God in the church. So it wasn't just people in the world that feared. It was people in the church, Brother Heath, that feared. They had such a reverential awe for God Almighty. As a result of that, many signs and wonders, many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. You talk about powerful. Here's, here's what I'm trying to tell you. We can be like this. We can be like this. This is the goal. Until we're like this, we have not arrived. Until we come into church and we have such reverential law, such deep-rooted reverential law, fear. We're operating the way they did and recognition of the Lordship of Jesus in their life, we have not arrived. Signs and wonders done by the apostles. Wonders and signs. God through them. Through His body now. God working through them. Things that cause people's eyes to go, 
They couldn't believe what they were seeing with their eyes. We'll see it in the third chapter, the lame man. Third and fourth chapter, the lame man healed. The lame man at the gate, beautiful, lame. Peter says, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have in the name of Jesus, give I thee. They didn't pray for his healing. They gave him his healing. And this guy's jumping, leaping and jumping and going to the temple, leaping and jumping and praising God. Man, that guy was laying down at the gate, beautiful, the temple. Peter locked eyes with him, eyes to eyes, locked eyes with him, eyes to eyes. He looked at Peter. Peter looked at him. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up! And he did. Leaping, praising God. His name meant paralyzed. He was paralyzed in his praise. Paralyzed in his worship. Couldn't move. His name meant paralyzed. It's a picture of the church. Paralyzed. Peter locked eyes. And we'll get into that next week. But the wonder. Can you imagine that? Somebody lame in the church. Get up. Start praising God. The wonder. Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. It's still for us today. It'll be with us all the way the second coming of Jesus. All that believed were, t- were together. Say they were together. And had all things common. Sold their possessions and goods and part of them to all men as every man had need. Didn't work. Problem. Problem. When you got... I'm almost done, you can see. When you got 3,000 people coming to the church that day, they all want to stay in Jerusalem. After experiencing what they've experienced, they want to stay around Jerusalem. They don't want to go back to Cappadocia or Pontus or Macedonia. They don't want to go back to Elamite territory or they don't want to go back to those places. They want to stay in Jerusalem. We got a problem. How are you going to take care of 3,000 plus people? How are you going to feed them? Where are you going to, where are you, if I had 3,000 people coming to church right now, you know, they're from different parts of the world, how am I going to feed all these people? Where are they going to sleep? What are they going to eat? That's the problem. They wanted to stay in Jerusalem. And so what they started doing, they had all things coming. They started selling their possessions, you know, and bringing it to the apostles, and, and then they could distribute it to the people, you know. But it don't work. God never told him to do that. Hear me? God never told them to sell all their possessions. God didn't tell them to set up a communism. A taking from the rich and giving it to the poor. God didn't set up communism politically or religiously. Anytime anybody has ever tried to set up a communism They had all things common. Whether it be politically or religiously, it always failed because it is not right. It was wrong. You hear what I'm telling you? 
it would be wrong for me to stand up and tell you to sell everything you got and bring me all the money and we're going to distribute the wealth in the church. That's not God. They got so focused in staying in Jerusalem that God had to allow persecution to hit the church to get them out and spread the gospel. It wasn't His will for them to camp down in the church house. It wasn't His will for them to camp down in Jerusalem. It was His will to go ye therefore and teach all nations. So persecution hit that church and that fire spread. God used persecution to get them out of their home. To get them out of Jerusalem. It wasn't God's will for them to hang around. They wouldn't hang around and wait for the rapture. We'll just get together. We'll sell everything we got. We'll make sure everybody's needs are taken care of. We'll just sit around. We'll just sit around. We're the church. You know, to Hades with the rest of the world. I'm in the church. That's all that matters. Who cares? Everybody else goes to hell. We'll just sit around. We're just right for the rapture of the church. I'm in the church. Who cares? That was not God's plan for them to sell all their positions possessions and distribute it to each other. You understand what I'm trying to tell you? He had to get them out of Jerusalem by persecution. That's the only way he could. And I'm going to be honest with you. Lord, help us today to do the will of God without persecution hitting us to get us out of our comfort zones. To get us out there to start evangelizing the lost. Instead of sitting around in a church and saying, well, I'm saved. I'm not worried about anybody else, you know. I don't care if they go to hell anyway. They want to go to hell. They don't want the gospel. You did. You did. Some of you saying, well, I don't want it this long. <laughs> Shorten short it a little bit faster. It'll be all right. <laughs> right? But this was the problem. It was a problem. I said it was a problem. What they should have done is go back home. Spread the gospel. Go back home. Take what you've experienced with you over there. Tell them. God didn't ask you to stay in Jerusalem. God didn't tell you to sell everything you've got and spread the wealth. He didn't tell them to set up a communism. A communal living. He didn't call you to be a nun. A temple virgin. Waiting for Jesus to come have a relationship with you in the middle of the night. Boy, it's quiet in here. So when they sold the possessions of goods, a part of them to all men, as every man had needed, you know what? It's going to break out into a major problem by the fifth chapter. Ananias and Sapphira is going to lie to the Holy Ghost. Some of y'all do that all the time anyway. Near of your giving. They lied to the Holy Ghost. They said they sold a possession. You know, I can give it all. No. no. Ended up being death over the whole thing. Death came as a result. The whole thing. Nothing good came out of it. 
He nothing. It wasn't God. So, sold the possessions, goods, part of them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple. They are the temple. You can't get the Jew out of them. Why are you looking at me like that? These people have been born. They've been raised going to the temple. You can't get it out of them. There's some things I can't get out of you. You're still doing this. <laughs> hey, you're baptized in the same God, the Holy Ghost. You're still doing this crazy stuff, man. Some of y'all are superstitious, you know. Oh, my leg, my leg's hurting. Why is your leg hurting, sister? Because somebody gave me the evil eye on my leg. You're still superstitious. I know somebody looked at my leg. That's why it's hurting right now. Jesus. Just superstition. You know what I'm saying? Hmm. Um, this has been a wild one, hasn't it? <laughs> How many of y'all still have some of your old religious ways and religious thinking? Yeah. And no, all y'all, none? Oh, good. Some of you still think like. Lutherans still think like Baptists, still think like Catholics, still think like Church of Christ, still think like... Yeah. Say amen. Some of you still think church is going to sitting there and being a mute. Don't say anything. You know what I'm saying? That's not reverence. It's not God. That's your religion. Say amen. Okay, I'll get off of that. I'll get off of that. I'll get off of that. <laughs> we have our ways too, don't we, church? Even our old Pentecostal religion. You know, Brother Dice used to tell us, and it's all right, he's going to be the Lord, so nobody's going to crucify him. He said, I hate your old stinking Pentecostal religion. And he was part of an organization. And he'd look at us just, I hate your old stinking Pentecostal religion. And he'd do it just like that. <laughs> okay. So I'm just telling you that we as Pentecostals, yeah, we, we, we do, we do. We still have some, we have some things. We do. We do. Why you do it like that? Say praise the Lord. Okay, I mean, you don't have to say praise the Lord. If you, 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 you might not want to say praise the Lord after I said the stinking Pentecostal religion. You might want to want to say praise the Lord over that. You might want to go to some presbyter in the city and tell him, Pastor, calling your Pentecostal religion stinking. Religion is a damnable thing. Okay, well, praise the Lord. Man, y'all are good. 
Is it two o'clock? See, even we Pentecostals think we're supposed to be up by 1230. Where did you get that? The Bible doesn't say church starts at nine. We started that at, we started at 10. But church didn't, the Bible didn't tell you to start at 10. We started at 10. The Bible doesn't say start at 6. We started at 6. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? The Bible doesn't say let him out at 1230. That's what you said. Let me out at 1230. It'll be too long. Give me a 30 minute message and that's all I can handle. We still have some things, don't we? Come on, church. Come on. Come on. Come on. God didn't tell you you had to put these little curly dudes right here on your forehead, you know, with your hair. Spin it down like this, you know. And the Bible didn't even tell you that you had to put a bun on the top of your head. And I'm not preaching against buns, Sister Kathy, but... This is holy. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, oh man, I'm really, praise the Lord, I might just give you the rest of the day off. I preach so long, I might just give you the rest of the day off. <laughs> How are you going to come in here for tonight's service full of fire, ready to go, man? Of where you are, completely out. That's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> Your flesh is too strong. You're too hard-headed. I'm going to keep hammering you till you ain't nothing left of you. There's absolutely nothing left of you but God. I'll keep preaching till I see I give in your eyes. All right. So the possessions, goods, part of them to all men, and every man had that had need, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Say amen. amen. Praising God and having favor with all people, all the people. You know where they had their problems? It wasn't with the common people of their day, it was with the leaders. They had problems with religious leaders. They had problems with the leaders of their cities. Later. They didn't have a problem with the common people. I guarantee you, for the most part, very rarely has anybody chased you down with a knife when you went to witness to them. I pulled a gun out on you. Has that ever happened to any of y'all that were chased down with a knife? Well, Eloy, that's because they don't like you. <laughs> They didn't have anything to do with God or what you were preaching. They just don't like you. <laughs> That's an old grudge. Right? Most of the time, we don't have problems with the people out there. We talk to them about God. Really? Honestly? We have problems with religious leaders and religious people. Okay? Amen. So... Praising God, having faith with all people. So this is a picture of the New Testament church. This is what the early church is all about. Hallelujah. Isn't it beautiful? Did you find your church in it? Are you in it? 
Good. Thank you, Jesus. If you're in it, that means I might be. Man, I love you. Thank you. Thank you for being patient. Because I mean, you know, it's 2.15. And that's long. That's long by any definition. Right? But, hallelujah. I had a lot to say to you today. I tell you where it, where it really went. What really happened was when I got where Peter started preaching about Jesus and how he was victorious over sin. That's why I was praying, God, do you want me to tell? Because I knew I was fixing to go really long if we went there. But the Lord wanted it. So now you know why Peter preached under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost what he preached concerning the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It gives meaning to his death and his resurrection. He wasn't just something. He just stood up and preached. There was reason behind it. Okay. Sister, I see in your eyes. Okay, Pastor, I give. <laughs> yeah, Sister. No, you're all right. I don't mind that. I don't mind that. Do you give? I give. He'll fall on the ground. I give. <laughs> oh, thank you, God. I remember one sister, she went to a, a camp meeting with this church, and it went so long, so long, so long. She said, just give me a banana and I'll be all right. <laughs> just give me a banana and I'll be all right. Oh, yeah. Oh, anyway, thank you for being patient. But I see I give in your eyes, so I'm going to let you go home. Y'all doing all right now? Got some, you know, I think God can burn some stuff out of us. This right? Praise the Lord. Thank God for that, huh? Thank God for that. Honestly. And I love y'all. I love y'all. I have been fighting in my spirit for some of y'all. I love y'all. I have been so concerned about you. And I love you so much. And I pray that nothing get a hold of you. Nothing mess with your mind. You know what I mean? So, I've been in some battles because I didn't know what decisions some of you are going to make. But I got to church and I see that you made the right decision. And so that, that encouraged me. That helped me. Amen? Because we're a part of the body of Christ. Hallelujah. Good to see Brother Patrick with us today. Are y'all glad he's back? And good to see all of you today. Hallelujah. We love you with all our heart. God loves you more. Amen. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. Thank you for your time.